to it welcome to it it is nine o'clock on a thursday night so you guys know what time it is it is time for, it is time for talk that talk i am your host terrell chatterbox emerson in studio with my guy matthew raftery matt what's going on man been a minute but uh you know we're, we're keeping it going we're almost to the end of the week yeah man almost at the end of the week we got a lot to talk about we got three hours tonight we got something a little different tonight but i'm excited I'm excited. Uh, before we actually get started, I want to give you guys a full rundown on kind of what we're going to get into today and what you guys obviously have to kind of expect for the next three hours. Me and Matt will be kind of talking to you guys until midnight. So uh, we, we, we got a lot, obviously, to get to, a lot of um, insight to kind of break down a little bit. But um, before we do that, let's go ahead and say happy Cinco de Mayo to anybody who celebrates, to any and everybody who celebrates. We appreciate um, you guys for tuning in with us on, on your Cinco de Mayo again. We're closing out the night. Um, but just be safe. Be safe because we understand what's going on here in Vegas, um, especially holidays like this, right? It gets really, really dangerous out here in Vegas. So if you are out here uh, celebrating, please celebrate responsibly, drink responsibly, and please get home safe. Designated drivers are lifesavers. Um, in case you guys wanted to know anything about our, about our social medias, let's go ahead and update you guys on that. You guys can find us at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, on Twitter, you guys can find us at Talk That Talk LV. On Instagram and Facebook, you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, literally anything else, you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. I did that in under three minutes. I'm pretty proud of myself. That's incredible. Pretty proud of myself. Not going to hold you. I would say, must have been in radio for a while. Yeah, yeah a little bit. You know? <laughs> a little bit. And then there are certain days that it's like, this guy did radio? Um, <laughs> but in all seriousness, Matt, uh, like I said, I like to kind of, you know, you like I like to kind of kick it old school before we start. But we're going to get to the Aces in this first hour. We're going to get to the Aces. We're going to talk a lot of Aces basketball. Give you guys a season preview ahead of tomorrow's season opener in Phoenix against the Phoenix Mercury. Uh Plenty of things to talk about, obviously, in terms of the Las Vegas Aces. I do have one Phoenix Mercury topic to get to, kind of a WNBA topic to get to, but we'll get to that, obviously, in this first hour as well. So we have more basketball talk in the second hour. We got some – some. of course we got NBA basketball, right? Yeah. I wasn't going to start there, but I also have an update on what's going on over in Greece. With Panathinaikos and Olympiakos. You guys are going to want to, or you guys are actually not going to want to miss that in the second hour. And then, of course, our last hour, we'll go ahead and wrap it up with some local news. I think I have an off season to prepare for. Um, you let me know if I'm wrong, but we're, we're going we're gonna to start as we always do with my mom's tip in. My mom's tip in is pretty dope. I like this one. And I'm going to get to that Floyd Mayweather point that I, I made to you before the show. And I'm going to explain why I even made the point to begin with. But, my mom's sipping for today. Where's my mom's sipping? There we go. If I couldn't find it, we were really in trouble. From Oliver Cromwell. I feel like this is going to be a trend. And I think you're going to like this. He who stops being better stops being good. Once again, today's tip in is he who stops being better 
stops being good. Now, why did I take that? Because I feel like new head coach Becky Hammond kind of fits that bill in terms of what she's bringing here to Las Vegas. And, Matt, we're not going to talk about this during the the actual Aces segment, despite the fact that we're heading into it right now. But we were just listening to some media day quotes, and <laughs> Asia was talking a little bit about being in a locker room prior to a national championship game with Don Staley, and she was a little surprised that Don was as calm and as lax. And before we even get to my original point, what, what did you say? What did you have to say about that? I said. Um... Well, first I said, yeah, I think Don Saley, I feel like she gives off those types of vibes and kind of looked at me a little sideways. I was like, not in a bad way, but I feel like Don Staley is the type of person that'll kick it before the game, look at her watch, realize there's a game in a couple hours, go take care of that, and then go right back to kicking it after the game and not think twice about it. Absolutely. Let me explain something to you. (laughs) Shout out to Courtney Watson, first of all. Shout out to Courtney Watson. Uh, from Westchester High School, like I like I said all the time, there was little bands that we used to wear, you know, the Live Strong bands. We had one in high school, and our said, I love my athletic trainer. And it was because of Courtney Watson. Courtney Watson is also a a, a portion of the of the uh, the money team. I don't know why I couldn't figure out the name. But she's also a, a portion of the money team. And I've watched her massage Floyd before a fight, for instance, right? And it reminded me of something. I remember Triple H... Uh, if you guys are unfamiliar, Triple H from wrestling. I don't know another Triple H, to be honest with you. But um, he went into the locker room after the fact. I guess he said he heard that Floyd wanted to speak with him or was cool to speak with him. And it was before the Manny fight. And I don't know if I told you this story. I literally love this story, so I try to tell it every time I can, or anytime I can. But Triple H came in, and he was like, well, I mean, I don't want to bother you. Like, I know you got a big fight coming up, da 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 And he said Floyd was super accommodating. Like, nah, 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 have a seat. Like, you want anything to drink? Like, food? Like... The game is on. He said he was really confused that he was back there watching. It might have been the Houston Rockets on. He was like, but he's watching a basketball game. He said, and he kind of sat for a little bit, and he asked Floyd, well, if you're so calm, let me ask you a question really quick. How is it possible that you're about to head into the biggest fight of your career? And this is the way that you're, in, that you're like in the locker room right now. Floyd's response was, what do I train for? What do I put in hours and weeks of training and preparation for for me to still doubt my skills before the test? Like he said, anything that I haven't figured out in my training camp leading up to it, I'm not going to figure it out 30 minutes before the fight. So Floyd's response is, I'm doing everything I can to relax before I actually have to go do it. It's not a bad way to look at it. I mean, it's to me, it's no different than if you're going into – a big job interview, a big test, um, any anything that, you know, could be of pretty significance to one's life, you know. Um, at least that's kind of how I approach it is like, you know, sure. I obviously prepare and then, you know, kind of the time immediate before that, um, but, you know, before whatever it is that's going on, you know, I, I do try to block a lot of that out, you know, whether it's, um, you know, scroll social media, you know, listen to music, like whatever the case may be, that's just – how I've always kind of approached big things like that is, um, you know, trust the preparation and then, 
um, you know, kind of in the moments before, you know, whatever it is that's going on, just really try and get the mind cleared out, you know, kind of get away from the distractions and, you know, overthinking whatever it might be and whatever happens, happens. At some point, you got to let the chips fall where they, where, where they may. And I mean, I, I love, I tell you this all the time, I love books that give you um, a call to action. And that's the way that I kind of have, have always been. I love calls to action. And the only way that you're going to get calls to action is, or the way that you, the only way that you'll internalize a call to action, I'll say, is if you take it as a challenge. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's the only way that you can. And I feel like the way that it's presented and the way that it's packaged is everything. I loved Floyd's response because it forced Triple H in that particular instance. But anybody else who kind of would ask that question, how are you so relaxed? What do you do when you train for something? So you're telling me that you don't trust your preparation. There's a reason he's uh, undefeated. Or he picks fights. No, I'm just playing. Uh, you know what's funny about that? I, I wasn't going to get into Floyd today, but we have three hours, so why not just shoot it for a second? Oh, you're starting early today, huh? <laughs> a, a little bit. A little bit. <laughs> because I get fighting everybody in the air, right? Mm -hmm. I completely understand it. They call boxing prize fighting. Fam, I'm taking the I'm, I'm taking the check. My job is to not get hit. It's to hit people and not get hit. I'm gonna make the most money possible doing it. If after the fact, because I have zero losses, you tell me I handpicked my opponents, there are worse problems to have. Still had to go through fifty different opponents. Period. And on top of that, shout out to my guy, Sean Zatel, who just recently got married last month, as a matter of fact. Shout out to Sean and Samantha. Uh, but, of course, there's no way that we're not going to talk to Sean about boxing at his wedding. It, it, it just happens. So, uh, at the reception, we, we spoke about uh, Oscar Valdez and Shakur Stevenson's matchup that actually took place on April 30th from the MGM Grand in which Shakur Stevenson won. Uh, we talked about Floyd. I just randomly threw a question at him. I said, how many, how many times has Floyd been hit flush? None. Me and him said the same answer. I think we're at four or five. He's been hit flush about five times. Mosley got through. Maidana got through twice. I think Robert Guerrero got through. And maybe Zab Judah. It's like, it's like only four people who have touched Floyd. And honestly, shout out to Sean's tail. He said, Manny, I had Manny in that fight. I looked at him. I said, mm, not really. Manny didn't, lay, Manny didn't land square either. Floyd has only been truthfully touched, in my humble opinion, probably four times. That's more insane than that record, I'm telling you. And all four times he seemingly <laughs> was able to at least brace the impact. Fam, I, I don't know, man. I, I think the only one that caught him, like caught him, caught the Mar Marcos Maidana may have been like, okay, I wasn't surprised. You knew what Sugar Shane was bringing forth. And he still got through. So I think that may have been the only time that I may have seen Floyd kind of be like, all right, hold on. What's going on? But anyway, let, let's, let, let's, let's, try to, let's try to right the ship, right, and get right back to the topic at hand. Um, Monday, we didn't have a show because we had media day. We had media day, so I had to deal with the Aces media day. And 
Um, let's go ahead and open this up by saying shout out to Tashawn Reed, first of all. Shout out to uh shout out to Tashawn Reed once again from the Athletic. Um finally had the opportunity to meet him. And I always talk highly about my OG in terms of Steve Weiss from NFL Network and uh <laughs> When I was discussing about the Raiders and us trying to get in and things of that nature, um, one of the things that he was just saying was, once the Raiders get over there, um, watch how Tashawn Reed covers the team. And I said, okay. I mean, he just kind of dropped that little tidbit in my ear, and I, I went about my business. Finally met Tashawn uh, on Monday, um, exchanged numbers, exchanged socials, things of that nature, and kind of hit it off. So uh, just kind of wanted to open up this particular segment by, by shouting him out because – a lot of people were wondering, like, well, do you cover the, the Aces? Do you cover the Aces? Do you cover the Aces? And as he said before, he does what we always do. He said, in the offseason, I roam. So, yeah, why not? <laughs> why not be here? And stories are going to come out of that. Stories are obviously going to come out of that. He actually came um, forth with, with the Mark Davis story following Media Day. But let's let, let's talk a little bit about Media Day. Um, you weren't actually in the building for media day, but did you get any type of wind of it on social media? I got a, a fair amount for sure through different, you know, people that were there and uh, could kind of sense what the vibe was like. Um, shout out to the T.C. Martin show and obviously shout out to uh, Raiders Radio with Q. Um, both obviously were doing live shows in the, in, in the building. Um, Becky Hammond, or excuse me, yeah, Becky, De Becky Hammond, the Erica Hamby. Asia Wilson, um, trying to think about who else was was doing just guest spots on radio shows, but Brian Salmon actually did a guest spot for TC Martin. So the the energy was there in the building, right? And and the start of a new season is always, um, for lack of a better word, it's infectious. Whatever the energy is in that room is kind of infectious, and everybody kind of catches on. But the biggest storyline for me, and this is going to be a part of the the season preview story that actually drops tomorrow the headline i believe is actually let me read it directly right i'm sitting here looking at the doc um hammond to lean on experience and trust in her first year with the aces and that's exactly what the story is kind of highlighting if you guys are unfamiliar of who the new head coach is for the las vegas aces let me go ahead and inform you guys it is becky hammond so 16 years in the WNBA. Not even talking about her years overseas, right? Becky Hammond has come into the Las Vegas organization, and she's injected it with new life. And having been a team, or having been people that have covered the team for, for a couple of years here in the city, how, regardless of how you feel about Bill Lambeer or how other people may feel about Bill Lambeer, how important and necessary was this move to be made? Well, I mean, I think it was... For lack of a better term, I guess, you could sense that this team was hitting their ceiling with Bill Lambeer. You always felt like, at least in my personal opinion, they would always put together a pretty solid regular season, good enough to you know grab a high seed, and then they would get through the first round pretty much unharmed. Uh, maybe they drop a game or two in the, in the next round, and... Usually it was around either the conference final or if they, you know, during depending on what year it was, even the final is when you felt this team just kind of run out of gas. And that was, you know, over a stretch of multiple years. We're not talking about, uh, you know, one year, one off type of thing. Right. This was, I mean, I've noticed that trend probably the over the course of the past three to four seasons, give or take. And when when Becky, when the announcement was made, right? 
I'm not sure that you've seen more of a collective sigh of relief. Not just in the organization, but kind of in the city as a whole. And to be honest with you, based on some of the conversations that we've heard, right, there may have even been a sigh of relief from Bill Lambeer. So maybe Bill Lambeer even believed that maybe he was hitting a particular ceiling with or uh, a ceiling with that particular group. Now, going back to Becky Hammond, 16 years in the WNBA, eight with the San Antonio franchise, which is which, of course, is the Las Vegas Aces. Now, first player to have their jersey retired by the franchise. And now she's incorporating her system and, and, and what it means to be a pro. And the reason why I'm saying that is because we just was it maybe two weeks ago, maybe? Mm -hmm. we, we had the conversation about a video that kind of picked up some steam on social, and it was her Be A Pro clip. And during that clip, uh, she was explaining what it meant to be a pro. And during media day, I took a moment to ask her why things like, because she, she mentioned everything that was off the court, right? I, I made it a point to kind of ask her why is that so imperative for a team that has championship aspirations, considering that everything that you mentioned had to do with off-the-court activities? And this is what Becky Hammond told me. Well, it's imperative because I think uh, winning in championship culture starts in your mind. Um, it starts with your approach long before you ever put a foot on the floor. Uh, championship culture is cultivated in your mind first, and then it carries out into action. Um, so, really, the whole idea of that talk was just to talk about the approach, but also I'm a, I'm a leader that believes in coaching the whole person, so I don't want to just coach them as athletes. I want to coach them as young women. I want to coach them as future leaders. I want to coach them as people um, and motivate them that, yes, we play basketball, and this is the way we put food on our tables, but uh, life is so much bigger, and they are so much bigger, and there's so much more to them than what you see, and so those are the little nuggets that I try to get them and um, that they can see a little bit of me. Matt, say something. Speechless. I mean, I if you if you're still sitting here, by the way, okay, and doubting that this team is going to be good this year, all I got to say is just watch hmm. because. There's a culture being changed. And I know a lot of Aces fans probably just turned their head sideways like, well, what had to be changed? This team was doing great. You can sen you can sense that there is a culture cha culture change between Bill Lambeer and now Becky Hammond. Most definitely. The thing that I took away from that is if I cut the sound off, Of a Becky Hammond interview, split screen with a Lindy LaRock interview. They sound the same. And I gave you this transcript. Would you be able to tell me which one said it? No. I've, in fact, made probably a lot of comparisons between the two because they're basically mirror images of each other. Um, a lot of what... Becky Hammond says may have been something that we heard earlier in the year from Lindy LaRock and vice versa. Um, you know, there's, uh, there's confidence in their voices. Um, and they also, I, this goes for more so sports in general than anything. Right. Um, but it can apply here for sure. Um, 
there's certain coaches that when they walk into the building, you can sense that the personnel in the building have that respect for that that individual coach. Both are like that. Wendy Rock and Becky Hammond. They both, you know, when they walk into the locker room, they have instantly gained the respect of all twelve or thirteen players on that roster. For sure. And you know that. And I mean, we we saw this firsthand with Lindy this season, especially, but even more so during her time, even at UNLV. Right. While there is that respect there, uh, there's that respect there because the players know that they're going to get it right back in return. That if there's a bad call, Lindy's going to be the first one off the bench fighting for them. Um, you know, <laughs> she's going to be the first one in the officials' ear long before the players even get a chance to. Um, and I feel like Becky Hammond's the same way. I feel like Becky Hammond, there, she's gained that respect, particularly in the pro ranks, because she knows, or the players know, and the personnel that um, you know she manages knows that she's going to go to bat for them. Hmm. And when it's a two-way street like that, I mean, we saw it with the Lady Rebels this year, really good things are going to start happening. And again, you you mentioned the Lady Rebels, and we're we're, we're again, if you guys are just kind of tuning in, we're letting you guys know about Aces Media Day that took place on Monday from the Michelob Ultra Arena. Uh, so we're we're breaking down Be- Becky Hammond, right, and her first year, her upcoming first year here with the Las Vegas Aces, and. We talked about her be a pro clip, and one of the things that she mentioned, she said that she wants the team to, to be competitive. And she said that's what the team is, um, what people can expect from the team, that this team is going to be competitive. And you just mentioned a competitive team by mentioning Lindy LaRock's Lady Rebels. And I went ahead and, and, and talked to, to Asia about that because this offseason, Asia and I have seen each other a handful of times at just various things throughout the city. And... Aside from her being the, the most outgoing, I should say outgoing, right? I don't know every, every every superstar, but what appears to be the most approachable and most outside, for lack of a better term, superstar that I've ever seen, um, she's been at a couple of those Lady Rebel games, right? And, and she's been a couple of different places, and the, I kind of took the opportunity to ask her during media day, well, you've talked about the energy and the buzz that the Raiders have created, and you've talked about the buzz that the Lady Rebels have created, and now we're here, right? We're here at the start of the WNBA season, and I would like to know how this team is using those moments to now create one of their own. And she was saying that a lot of people asked what they can do to support and how they can help and how they can help this team get over the hump, and Asia continues to to, to echo the same sentiments. Come to a game. It starts there. Just, just show up to a game and have an open mind. You may see something that makes you want to come back next time. Yeah, it's – to me, it's, um, you know, I, I had a moment probably two or three weeks ago, and we were, it was me and a few friends, we were kicking it at the spring game for UNLV football. Okay. Um, Something that I did not attend. You didn't miss much. Anyway, I'm sorry. I, I just had to slide that in. <laughs> Getting back to the They're top. They're not going to like us. I know. We, we, we might not even get credentials the rate we're going. They may be like, Honestly, we're getting to the point, too. They might be like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Whatever. Watch that at home, fam. No comment. <laughs> we're also getting to the point to where the people that we went to school with are no longer on the roster. So Yeah. Uh, that just that just means we're getting older. Anyway. Um, but we were kicking at the spring game. Right. And I think it was maybe on the Jumbotron. They were um, – it was, I think, an Aces promotion. Mm-hmm. And um, 
you know, the particular one I think was like, oh, you know, single game tickets start at like 10 bucks. Wow. Um, and I looked at them and I said, I wonder how much their season tickets then are, if that's the type of promotion they're running. So they pull it up and, you know, my friend looks at me, he's like, I didn't think it was going to be, I thought it was going to be more than what it is. And hearing that and hearing the interest level of this team that, you know, you now have people that are legitimately interested in purchasing season tickets for the Aces that, you know, want to genuinely go to games at Michelob Ultra Arena. It's a fun, it's now a fun atmosphere. Right. Um, and to be fair, I mean, I've given my fair share of criticism, um, particularly, I think it was, if it wasn't last season, it was the season before, uh, which I it probably was last season because that's when they had the limited capacity and all that. Yeah. Um, and I didn't necessarily. I feel like that was early last year. I feel like they might have lifted it like somewhere throughout the middle of the season. But... Yeah, yeah. Um, but like where they were limiting it basically to season ticket holders, mm-hmm. and I didn't necessarily agree with that. I, I felt that, you know, if we have entities down the road, such as the Golden Knights that are holding packed houses and the Raiders, you know, mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what necessarily made the Aces any different. But, um now I think that we're going to have a lot of those restrictions lifted now that fans are going to be able to come to any game they want to. Um, and, and the product on the court's still going to be good. Um, you know, me and my co-host on the other show, mm-hmm. we talk about this almost religiously. Um, ironically enough, it's usually when we bring up the topic of men's basketball. Because... I wonder why. No comment. Um but that, you know V is, so, is in such a weird place. They are. Um, they've been in a weird cycle basically since Lon Kruger left. That's kind of when it started. But anyway, mm-hmm. that's beside the point. Um, the swirling question around UNLV men's basketball for a good number of years now has always been the attendance. And, oh, what, what can they do to you know kind of get the Mac back, in a sense, to where it was? Um, and the simple answer that we've both come up to for years now is win. You know, put a product on the court that the city's going to be happy about, that the city's going to be proud to show up to games for, that the city is going to take three, four hours out of their night on a Tuesday night when they know they got to work the next day to come support a team. Hmm. And the Aces have that right now. They have that support to where people know that if they're going to an Aces game, they're going to go see a good, a good show. If nothing else, at the end of the day, too, we're we're gonna this show is gonna come back full circle because we're gonna end this show again by talking about support. I know. Yeah, this radio thing is too fun. Uh, but but let, let's let's get back to the point because you just said regardless of what they come to see, they're gonna see a good product, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want fans to know if you are coming to see the Las Vegas Aces this season, it's gonna be a little different. It's gonna be a tad bit different because with Becky Hammond, obviously comes a new identity. It comes a new system, and I spoke with Chelsea Gray about the new system, and obviously having a a, a, a new head coach, but. I spoke to her about it, and I said that mainly it happens in other sports, and I feel like it gets understated in basketball. But you have your moments where you get a coach, right, who used to play. And then you get a coach who used to play your position. And it makes it a little different. Here's what Chelsea Gray had to say about that. One of the greatest ever do. Um, it's awesome. Um, I mean, 
also I'm like the conversations are just different. Like she sees the game in a different way. Point guards always do. Um, it's a conversation and an understanding there. Like I see what you saw there, but this is how you get it to be better. And she's experienced that on, on different levels, playing, coaching in the NBA, and now she's back in our league. So it's, it's pretty cool. So that gives you a little bit of an insight into the way that that that, that Becky and Chelsea's conversations go, right? It, it, it's a little bit of matching wits. And that was the exact phrase that I used when talking to Chelsea about this new, uh, what is expected to be a faster-paced offense, right? And what's so, what's so interesting about this is I know Bill Lambeer is going to catch a lot of strays for this, right? I'm here to defend him. Maybe not entirely, but I'm here to defend him. Um, Shout-out to our Florida man fact-checker, Salim Dweck, my guy. Um... But Salim has been pretty open and vocal about the fact that Bill Lambeer was stuck in a different decade in terms of coaching. Mm-hmm. And in saying that, we're going to get to the main point that Salim used to make. But one of the things that I gave Bill Lambeer a lot of credit for was him trying to speed up the game. Uh, right? He, he Whether it was fair or not fair, he spoke to – how much COVID slowed Liz Cambage down and thusly slowed the offense down. Matt's not buying that excuse, but it's fine. Um, in addition to <laughs> never mind. I was I don't think you're the only person not buying that. We'll get to that in a second too. But um in addition to that, I look back to oh, I can't remember which game it was, but I remember one of the games Afterwards, he spoke about Chelsea Grace still bringing the ball up court, and they 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 say that she's the closest thing to Magic Johnson, right? Or since Magic Johnson, and when she comes up, um, she would she would she would do a magic like move where she would kind of start backing down at half court, and that would grind Bill Lambeer's gears. It would grind his gears because he would say, the moment you turn your back to the basket, forty five feet from the court, in front of the basket. You're not going to do anything offensively from back there. And now you've slowed everybody else down. So that probably won't be too much different in terms of what he's trying or what she's trying to do in terms of Becky Hammond. However, I do want to highlight that that was something that Bill Lambeer was on the record in terms of saying that they needed to correct. One of the things that he evidently didn't correct fast enough, and especially in Celine's opinion, he didn't promote. Shooting the three ball enough. Wonder why. And this is not something that Becky Hammond is going to going to, to stand for. Um, Asia was even asked multiple times about three-point shooting, and she said that <laughs> she always feels like she has the green light. But she said that she's respectfully going to shoot them in the, um, in the flow of the offense. And at the end of the day, like she said, she knows that she's been working on them, and Becky obviously is in practice, and she sees what happens in practice. So I expect this team to shoot a lot more threes, and obviously being the conductor for the office, what we expect to be the conductor for the office in terms of Chelsea Gray, whether she's splitting that duty with Kelsey Plum and or Jackie Young, um, she has expressed some interest in possibly letting that long ball fly. Man, Bill's just mad that he didn't get to shoot any threes as a player. You think Bill would have knocked him down? No, not a chance. I disagree. See – I, not a chance? No. Let him take five a game. He going over five. <laughs> no. Few of them might not even get First there. season, he's averaging 1.9. 1.9. 1. 
1.9 makes a game on five attempts. Oh, I thought you were giving me the uh, distance that he was going to be short of the rim, 1.9. <laughs> Get back to Chelsea Gray. Never mind. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you about Bill Lambert anymore. <laughs> no, I mean. Uh, By me, the way, we don't know what Bill Lambert is doing in this franchise. I'm going to get to the bottom of that. I'm getting yeah, to the bottom well, of that. I was going to say, that's, pro- that's probably the best way to leave it. <laughs> I could have probably <laughs> thrown out a couple of suggestions. But never mind. Never mind. Yeah. Back to the, back to the Chelsea Gray point. Uh, Sorry. But, I mean, in all seriousness, to touch on Bill Beer, I think a lot of it is he's taking his playing experience into coaching. Right. Bill Beer, I think, is probably a really good asset for Asia and Liz Cambage. A person like Kelsey Plum? Maybe not. Because, you know, playing guard in the NBA and playing power forward and center, particularly during Bill, Bill Beer's era, were two drastically different things. And the power forward and center were far more involved in the paint than they are in today's game. In today's game, you really have to be more so a stretch four and maybe even a stretch five at times um, to really get involved in the offense. And... Um, I, I think Bill Beer tried, um, but I think with Chelsea Gray, um, I, I think Bill, I think for one, as we know, he wanted Chelsea to um, not turn her basket to the, or turn her back to the basket, right. uh, which is, I mean, it's valid tip. I mean, I've heard that before and it makes a lot of sense. Or what if it gave him nightmares of magic? Never mind. I thought about that. I, that. Like when you brought up magic, I thought, oh, Bill got torched by magic at one too many times. Um but do you think that coaches have flashbacks, like scenes flash from of their course. Like, basketball lives when yes. certain things happen? Yes. Well, well beyond their retired years. Yes. What's the life expectancy of a coach? We need to look into that. That might like, be a separate story. Like, I, I, that's something that I can 100% attest to. Yes, that happens. Um, being great friends with a former middle school, high school basketball coach, he still to this day brings <laughs> up games that happened six seven years ago and he tells them play by play oh man so that's called ptsd yeah um coaches have really really great memories for sure um particularly of of stuff like that but to chelsea gray i think look nobody's gonna expect chelsea gray i think to light up the scoreboard by any stretch um she might get her she might get her looks and maybe the best comparison i could probably use for chelsea gray might be like chris paul Mm. where they're not mm. going to really blow you away night after night on the scoreboard as far as how many points they're scoring, but their presence on the floor, getting everybody else involved, is going to naturally open up offense for them. Right. And I, I, I think you look at who, you know, there's a lot of options for Chelsea Gray to distribute this, distribute the ball this year. You have people like Kelsey Plum, who has been documented as far as um, improving her long ball, right. um, you know, something that she had struggled with a little bit, um, was starting to improve a little bit during that last year of Bill Ambeer, and I think uh, now under this season has really improved. We're going to get back to that, or to your Chelsea Gray point. I do just want to add in, because we're not harping too much on Kelsey Plum. During this first hour, we have about 20 minutes left in this first hour, but I will say that's the, that was the obvious storyline that came from Media Day. I heard so many people Pulling, pulling Kelsey to the side, pulling Kelsey to the side. It's going to be a lot of Kelsey Plum features in this first three weeks, two, three weeks of the season, which is why Talk That Talk Media, at least myself, kind of stayed away from it for now, which is why we're giving you guys the angle of what, what Becky Hammond is kind of leaning on in this first season. But everybody in 
that um, Michelob Ultra Arena did say that that's the that's the question mark for the season. And the question mark isn't is it going to happen or is it not going to happen? It's how much better did Kelsey get? Yeah, because I think you know looking at games last season that you know I, I made sure I made it out to at least a good handful of games right. and. Uh, kind of, you know, watching from the press box, you know, she would have games where she goes bonkers behind the, particularly behind the arc. When she's got the spot down, you know, Kelsey Plum can reel off four or five threes in a row and rather quickly. I mean, you look down and you look back up, you're like, oh, she did that? Oh, damn. All right. Let me write that down. I feel like the people who tore their Achilles are in a fraternity and a sorority, and that means Kelsey's my sister. Like that's just the way I look at it. I I, I just watch an animal kind of be born in her after that injury. And again, like I said, I don't like to jinx people talking about injuries before seasons and things like that. But I gotta find a perfect opportunity to just kind of break down how it's changed her because we obviously see that it did. Yeah, and I I think I think of another reason outside of you know her the biggest question mark with Kelsey as far as did she improve? You know how much did she improve her shooting? I think you look at the roster now as a whole. Mm. And I would make the argument that the faces of this team are Asia Wilson and Kelsey Plum. When you think of the the Aces, those are probably the first two names that come to mind. Okay. Now let me throw another question back at you. There is no start, and for whatever it's worth to, me and Tashawn Reed talked about it, and there's no set starting lineup as of right now, right? Right. Uh, well, on Monday. It was no set starting lineup, and it's not one today either. And I, I was talking to Tashawn, and I kind of told him, especially considering that she spent the last eight seasons around Coach Pop, I could see if we don't know until 20 minutes before tip-off. Probably. I mean, and, that's, and if it changes for game two. How do we know these things? I don't think we do, and I think that's nothing out of the norm, particularly for the situation at hand, where it is – Becky Hammond coaching in her first hmm. WNBA game as a as a head coach, and um, you know I think a lot of we've we've even mentioned this you know in the kind of past week or two that we're going to see this team experiment a lot early on and see what works. Um, granted, some of it might you know come at the cost of maybe a loss here or there that maybe you know fans weren't expecting, but. Um, it, it's all part of the experimental process, um, you know, and there's there's names on the roster that you look at, you're like, they're probably in the starting lineup. Like, you know, Asia Wilson, for example, good chance she's going to be in that starting five. I would hope that we could pin her in and not pencil her in. But, yeah. Um, I would think another, you know, you go down the list, Chelsea Gray, another one that we just mentioned, I would mm-hmm. imagine being in the starting five. Keep going. Um, I think Kelsey Plum makes the starting five. I think that's one of the biggest changes that Becky Hammond brings. She brings Kelsey Plum back into the starting lineup. What happens now? So we're, we got three of them in that we're pretty. We feel pretty good about. Um, hmm. This is gonna be fun. I almost said Sid Colson, but I think she's a better fit off the bench with Hamby in the second unit. What happens with Jackie Young? Jackie's one of those that I can make the argument. Either way, I could say that Jackie elevates that second unit along with De'Erica Hamby, but Jackie's also got enough talent, and uh, especially on defense, that she could find herself easily in the starting five. Which is why I'm adding Jackie Young to that starting five. Who is number four then? 
Or who is the fifth one, rather. And see, stop there. Because that's where me and Tashawn Reed probably stopped. Because, as I said before, Kia Stokes is obviously back here in Vegas. But she was drafted to the New York Liberty when Bill Lambert was there. We saw her in the starting lineup a lot when Liz Cambage was not. And even Asia kind of alluded to it, talking about the Twin Tower set of last season. I think Becky Hammond gets away from that. I think, yeah. If anything, it's going to be, you know, a four guard, you know, four guard slash wing type of lineup, and then Asia's there. You yeah, know, we got to figure out who this fourth guard is, because now the the reason being is I'm building that bench the way that you just said it. So Raquana Williams is going to be probably my bucket getter in my second unit. De'Erica Hamby is De'Erica Hamby, right? She's a tank. So we know. I'm fine with that. Him, my too. Like, so now at this point, as long as Kelsey, Chelsea, and Jackie are in my starting lineup with Asia Wilson, I don't even care who we throw out there for the fifth if I'm a coaching staff. Because I'm looking at the bench, and as long as we have scoring on our bench, then I'm fine. And that's what I think the coaching staff is kind of looking at it and, and saying. Again, we could be wrong. Depending on what this uh, opening day, I'm going to say opening day roster as if it's MLB. But in terms of this um, home o- or season opener, I should say, in terms of the season opening lineup. But Asia Wilson, do you, you got? Do you put somebody like Bell in maybe as that fifth spot? I thought about it. I thought about it. I mean, a big doesn't make sense if you're going away from the Twin Tower set. That's all I'm saying. That's a good point, yeah. If you're moving away from the Twin Tower set, Kia Stokes wouldn't make any sense. De'Erica Hamby, you're taking her out of her element by moving her off the bench if that's the case. And then Teresa Placens, I mean, again, going back to the Twin Tower set with her being at 6'5 and Asia being at 6'4. So I think it'll be a guard. That's that's your your opinion too, at least so far. Mm -hmm. We'll see um, Friday when – Oh, I should say tomorrow at this point, right? We'll see tomorrow when this team actually opens up their season in Phoenix against the Mercury. Now, we have, again, we have less than 20 minutes to go in this final hour, or in this first hour, I should say. So let's go ahead and give you guys an update, continue this update on the Aces and their season preview heading into their season opener tomorrow night against the Phoenix Mercury. Asia Wilson, she's the center, obviously. She's the center stage or she is center stage, rather, in terms of this front court. And one of the names that you mentioned earlier was Liz Cambage. And she spoke at Media Day about this team being, regardless of the way that they feel and regardless of the way that they look, this team is undersized for the league. And she said if that's the case, it's trying to figure out the exact term. It's a collective effort. It's going to have to be a collective effort to do things like rebound and and defend. And that said, this goes back to our question to Sequoia Holmes. At the time, it was Kalani Brown, right? And we were trying to figure out who can replace Liz Cambage. And one of the things that I said was if you replace her with somebody who doesn't have the star power, doesn't have the name, doesn't have all of these different things, but – I don't know, the offense moves quicker. That's the improvement. 
that's the upgrade. It, I'm not saying that these people have to be better than Liz Cambage. And kind of listening to how Asia and the way that this team is uh, structured so far, they finalized their roster earlier today, which we're about to give you guys. They don't have anybody to single-handedly replace Liz, so they have no choice but to do it by committee. Yeah, I was going to say uh, you replace uh, Liz probably with a guard. Um, and that sounds kind of strange. <laughs> yeah, when you're talking about who would you replace Liz Cambage with, uh, typically people would probably guess something along the lines of the same position that Liz plays, but I, I think in the Aces case, they're okay with being small. They're okay with playing small ball. Uh, they're okay with, you know, kind of resembling um, what would be today's Golden State Warriors in a sense as far as we're fine with rolling out four guards in a big and rolling that way. Um, that's just, you know, kind of how we feel the offense is going to flow the best. And um, I, I think it's good overall. I think it's good to have that. It fits today's game of getting up and down, getting threes up, you know, making threes and uh, getting a lot of shots. And I mean, not to, you know, kind of get too sideways, but, you know, I, I do oftentimes feel like that might be the biggest thing that's slowing down men's basketball for UNLV. Mm. Because we've also heard a lot of rumor about, you know, they, they're they're another type of team that wants to get up and down, shoot a lot of threes, be fast-paced. Yep. Maybe they should be taking a page out of the Aces books and realizing maybe we don't need a lot of bigs to make this work. Yeah. I mean, just going back to your UNLV point, I mean – I swear I'm going to get off at this point. You you brought it up. I know. I did. But I'm going to get off at this point. If you wanted to build through the the twin tower type format, the last time UNLV had that was Brandon McCoy and Shakur Joosten. That team won 20 games. You guys fired that coach. My only point in saying that is now you've had guys who, granted, Kevin Kruger just finished his first year, but now you have guys who haven't had the time to bring their guys in. That's why we're in purgatory. Ta-da! <laughs> like, that's how it happens. So, again, we're not talking about UNLV basketball today, but I think Kevin Kruger is the man for the job. The same way I think Becky Hammond may be the woman for the job here in Vegas. Um, Asia actually added on by saying that Regardless of how she feels and how how much pressure she puts on herself, she feels like the goal is to be better than she was next year. And she said that as a as a leadership tactic, that's kind of the the approach that she's given everybody. She's given everybody the approach of be better than you were last year, regardless of what that means. Uh, whatever you deem yourself to to need to get better at, do it this season. I think. People may not want to hear this, but this is what Vegas needed. So I, I remember years ago when I said that the first nat or the first professional championship brought to this city will be brought to this city by a group of women, and it would be the Las Vegas Aces. And I've said that for quite some time. And this is coming off of the night's uh, inaugural season, things of that nature. And I stuck to my guns. This is making me feel it even more. Asia said during media day that 
a lot of people were asking, what, what can you guys do to get over the hump? What can you guys do to get over the hump? And she mentioned, even feeling in a moment, we've been a franchise long enough to be on the hump. She said, but at the same time, I like the pressure. Like, I like the pressure, she said, but nobody's expectations is bigger than ours. Here's what's different. Asia saying be better than you were last year sounds a lot different than the championship aspirations of last season. Sounds significantly different. That buzz that has died down with the Las Vegas Aces that you and I have kind of gone on record saying it probably shouldn't may be the best thing to happen for this team. Because we're going to get into the Golden Knights later, and perhaps the failure to curb those expectations could be the reason why fans are taking this so hard. Um, but let, let, let's update you guys on the roster really quick. As it presently stands, the roster reads as follows. Kirsten Bell, Sidney Colson, Chelsea Gray, De'Erica Hamby, Teresa Placence, Kelsey Plum, excuse me, Aisha Shepard, excuse me, Kia Stokes, Raquana Williams, Asia Wilson, and Jackie Young. 11 players currently on the roster. Now, this roster for two, three seasons, three seasons at least, at least the past three seasons, this roster has been extremely top-heavy, right? And regardless of what they've built on the back end of that roster, they've relied on their, their, their top half to do so. And I think the main thing that we've talked about with, with at least in this first hour that we've kind of talked about by breaking down this Aces upcoming season, Becky Hammond is going to trust players. And I think based on what you said earlier, that may mean that a Kirsten Bell may be in the, may be in the starting lineup or, or Aisha Shepard may actually be in the starting lineup. But just moments um, that we typically expect in, in different seasons, I think they're going to be a lot less predictable during the Aces season this uh, this time around. Yeah, I, I think um, I think we're going to be using the term unpredictable a lot, at least to start the year. I think so. Um, especially going game by game. Um, I think tomorrow night will be really, I mean – Tomorrow night, yes, but I think also more so like the probably the first I would say about five games of the year. Uh, you know, those will be baseline games. Mm -hmm. You know, getting a true sense of what the baseline of this team looks like and how far off is it from being a championship winner, and how quickly can they get it to being a championship winner? Um, you talked about it before. I think if there was to be a, a, a most improved. For a team, mm -hmm. like throughout a season, I think the Aces are going to get it. I I've been on on record saying that I do think the start to this is going to be kind of mm, a little a little unsure to begin with. And like I said, that could be what through first four or five games, and then I could see this team take off. And it's, let's say that this team does go somewhere and win wins fourteen straight. You know that, that's that's a random number that I'm landing on. But we watched the Lady Rebels win twelve straight earlier yeah. this year, so. I'm just wondering if, even though, like you said before, there may be some hiccups to begin with, how far ahead this team does finish, considering where they're probably going to start. I think they'll be happy with the end result at the end of the year, I'm pretty sure. 
And I, I did kind of pause a little bit after I saw, you know, obviously the final of their preseason game. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a little alarming. Yes. Um, I didn't put a whole lot of stock and substance into it, though, only because it is preseason. Right. And um, from what I was able to, do, you know, read and research, it, it felt like um, – it felt like Becky Hammond was more so gaining a perspective of how much depth is on this roster. Right. Which, if, if you're going to do that, you know, bet no better time than the preseason to, to try that stuff out because the preseason, record-wise, doesn't matter. So you can do things like, you know, empty a bench out early in the fourth quarter to kind of see, all right, where are we at on the depth side? How, how many deep in a rotation can we go? Or it's those type of games that you can take 22 threes, which – it's one off of this team's record. Becky Hammond followed that up by saying everybody has the green light. That that's going to be a very good thing for this team, I think, moving forward long term. You might have the game where you struggle, but if we're talking about everybody having the green light, that is a menace to the guard on defense. By the way, now the Ace the Aces actually start their season tomorrow night against the Phoenix Mercury. Interesting. All signs point to the fact that Brittany Griner will not be in uniform unless something drastic happens over the next couple of hours, to be honest with you. But we're going to end this first hour by giving you guys a small little update. Mainly because I tweeted it not too long ago. This was a couple of days ago. And this was Tuesday, actually. And this is from Bleacher Report on Instagram. And the picture is a picture of Brittany Griner, and it says U.S. officials to try negotiating Brittany Griner's release. The caption says this. Griner has been classified by the U.S. State Department as wrongfully detained by Russia. U.S. officials will try negotiating her release rather than wait for the results from Russia's legal system. Couple of issues with that for me, guys. Let's go. Let's go ahead and start this by saying, "This is all we've been asking for." So, during this time, I'm not gonna lie. I feel kind of uncomfortable to even admit it, but I got into some uncomfortable conversations with people, and people were saying, "Oh well, she had this overseas. She had this overseas." Cool. Now, you guys are missing my point. Or you guys were missing my point in terms of what the U.S. did in response to it. We heard that she regard. And again, if the family is saying something that they didn't want this to be out, then that's different. I haven't heard that yet. What I will say, yes, the family knew. Right. The world didn't. With all due respect, we understand that the world or that, 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 that the family is doing everything they can to bring her home. It's a little different when you have a whole world barking at you. Just a little different. That entire time, everybody was saying, well, well what can they do? Well, what can they do? Well, what can they do? These are the reasons why I wouldn't argue back. Trevor Reed was just exchanged. As part of a prisoner swap with Russia. Those are the things that can be done, guys. Things like that. So, 
Brittany Griner originally went in, what, February 11th. We hear about it about a month later. We get this news on Tuesday. Give me Tuesday's date. Today's the 5th, so that's the 3rd. Mm-hmm. You guys are going to tell us on March, or excuse me, on May 3rd, after she's been in since February 11th, that you guys are going to try to expedite and get her home before the court case that was supposed to start on May 19th. Why am I supposed to applaud in this situation? When you guys waited nearly three months? Don't do this 16 days before her case. And let's say she comes home on the 11th. Eight days before her case. That means you guys could have done it beforehand. There's a level of uncomfort here. I don't want to keep throwing this shot, but I am going to continue to, to, to throw this out there. D'Angelo Russell getting busted for weed at LaGuardia. If D'Angelo Russell got busted overseas, D'Angelo Russell would have been home before the end of the week. I stand on that. People can tell me I'm wrong all day long. I don't believe it. I was going to throw a bigger name out there like LeBron if it happened to him. LeBron would be home the same day. Yeah. With all due respect, let me just let you guys know how some of this stuff works. David Ortiz was shot in the Dominican Republic. And they believe that at the time that he was shot, that it was a there was there was an investigation to be had. The Boston Red Sox had David Ortiz airlifted to a Boston hospital. Mm-hmm. The Boston Red Sox told the DR fan, we're not hearing none of that. Give us that one. Right. And it's sad. Um, the only real response that I have that, you know, with Brittany Griner that feels appropriate is, well, it's about damn time, isn't it? Yeah. What happens if Brittany Griner comes back and retires? I wouldn't blame her one bit. Um, you know, it's about time because, as we just mentioned, let this happen to LeBron. Let it happen to a big star in the NBA or the NFL or the MLB or the NHL for that matter. I hate to say it, but the NFL might be the one place that'd be like, keep them. Well, certain players. Very true. It, it, let it happen to Tom Brady. <laughs> Same day. They, they're like, nah, Tom, come on, let's go. Same day. Um, they would apologize for arresting Brady. Yeah. <laughs> They, they'd be they, that would be an instance where they'd be putting the handcuffs on and then they'd five minutes later all right you, they flip him around what, what oh, that we, was you oh, never mind never mind my bad um but in all seriousness i mean this is the fact that it's taken this long and now we're still the u.s is still quote-unquote negotiating her release it's not a hard negotiation guys it's not you just did you just had a prisoner swap you mean to tell me that the U.S. only has one Russian prisoner and we gave it back? I mean, you got to go back to the same place you just found the Russian prisoner that you gave back to Russia. Find another one. Who wants to go back to Russia? Don't care. You're going back anyways. Brittany, come home. I want to give you my real answer so bad, but I, it would get us canceled 100%. Let me not even say that. What I will say is come back for hour number two because we have more basketball talk to get to. We got NBA talk to get to. Matt has this spicy topic that he wants to get to. Oh, I'm going to rip one on. 
<laughs> hey, man, Mad Dog, you might have asked for it, but our number two of the Talk That Talk radio show is coming right up, guys. Our number two of our three-hour episode of the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Man, we just getting warmed up here. And I was just about to say, man, Matt, this is your hour, man. This is your hour. I'm kicking my feet up. I'm chilling. But before I do that, I want to let you guys know where you guys can find us. You guys can find us on Twitter at Talk That Talk LV. Once again, on Twitter at Talk That Talk LV. If you are actually following our live stream on Instagram right now, we appreciate you guys. But our Instagram is the same as our Facebook, which is the same as our SoundCloud, which is the same as pretty much anywhere else you guys want to find us outside of Twitter. And that's at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, it's Talk That Talk Radio Show. Uh, hour number two, we got more basketball to get to. We just went through a full hour of prepping you guys for the upcoming season for the Las Vegas Aces. We let you guys kind of into the minds of Becky Hammond, Chelsea Gray, and Asia Wilson. We kind of let you guys into our minds about where we expect this team to go and how we expect it to look. Um, and then we also had a little Brittany Griner moment, right? I believe she deserves many more moments considering that uh, I feel like we failed Brittany Griner to this point. Um, trying to move on with the rest of the show. We're going to keep pace with that basketball talk, and we're going to continue it in hour number two. We're going to actually start with Euro basketball really quick because Panathinaikos and Olympiacos finally, finally, took part in game one of the A1 finals over in Greece. The interesting thing was we talked about this this Eurobasket website and uh, we talked to Sequoia about the dates changing and she said that it's not Eurobasket. It's the actual, uh, I forgot what actually what she texted me. She said, but it was actually like another entity. And um, she said that the finals didn't start until May. The finals actually started earlier today. As I was coming in, I believe the report said eight hours ago, nine hours ago, something along the lines of that. But despite this being the first official game, this is officially game one of the um, A1 finals. We got a 2-1 series uh, lead for Olympiacos as of right now because Olympiacos did fall to Sequoia Holmes and her Panathinaikos team 81-76. So Panathinaikos will not be swept. In this A1 finals, they have gotten a victory. They did lose both regular season matchups, so they're down in the in the almost a WNBA. They're down in the A1 Greek finals, two to one. What if I told you that Panathinaikos was up 15 points heading into the fourth quarter? That's insane. Okay, so now I'm gonna nail you to an answer here. When you get into practice tomorrow, are you? hammering home the fact that you guys were up 15 heading into the fourth or are you hammering home the fact that you guys were outscored by 10 in the fourth i think you could go either direction i guess it depends on see lindy would know this answer based on her group and i know becky would too right but i guess it depends on what that mo what, what motivates that team more i mean for what it is we've We've heard Lindy LaRock in these types of situations where the team is up considerable a considerable amount going into the fourth quarter. And they still win, but maybe a little closer than 
Lindy LaRock would have envisioned or liked. And, you know, we're, keep in mind, Cheryl and I are not in the locker room. We're standing fairly close to it on the, on the other side of a wall and all that. But even through a brick wall, you know exactly what's going on in that locker room. That's some thin brick. <laughs> are you sure it's the brick? Yeah, that's some thin brick. brick. Or either Lindy got some lungs on her, one or the two. And, and, and the funny thing is, you kind of just – And they lose by six or seven because they need a bunch of free throws at the end of the game. She – is a little more perturbed in those moments. Uh, Fionda Fitzgerald chipped in and actually led the way with 27 points. Chastity Reed added 24 of her own. She actually shot 11 of 19 from inside the arc. So nice numbers for Chastity. Um, you want to you want to Sequoia's numbers just because Sequoia put up put up 12 points, two rebounds, and two assists. She did go three of seven from deep. Um, there's plenty to talk about. In terms of Olympiacos and Panathinaikos as a whole, why do I feel like we're nowhere near the end of the series? It's too. It's it's the two best teams going at it, which is what I think you could ultimately hope for in a championship setting. Is the two best teams battling it out and you know dragging the series on as as long as it you know, is allotted for. Now, <laughs> perfect transition. I wasn't trying to do this, but whatever. Like I said, this radio thing is kind of fun. And like I say about stories all the time, it kind of kind of works itself out. But <laughs> did you see Kevin Durant's The Apocalypse Suite? Mm-mm. Oh, my gosh. This is hilarious. So he said, <laughs> and I agree with him. He's, uh, he posted a picture. I guess he was um, – oh, man. He was overseas. Where is Mike James playing? I don't know if it's Poland, if it's Russia. I don't know where he's playing. But Mike James is playing overseas, right? Former uh, NBA player Mike James, former Brooklyn Nets specifically, also spent some time with the Phoenix Suns. He's playing overseas. Now, Kevin Durant showed up and – He's supporting his, his former teammate, right? He took a picture of the top right-hand corner. I really hope that I have this in my phone, actually. But he took a picture of the uh, of the top right-hand corner. Or maybe it was, I guess it was left-hand corner for um from his vantage point. But Kevin Durant took a picture of the fans with flares. <laughs> now... He took a picture of the fans with flares, and oh, actually, it wasn't even a picture. It was a video. Now I'm going to show Matthew live in the moment. <laughs> this is at a basketball game. This is at a basketball game. <laughs> now, if you guys are watching on Instagram live, I'm going to hold up my phone really, really quick because Kevin Durant posted this, and if you guys have seen world cup soccer settings you see wild and outlandish fans like this what's interesting is kevin durant said the apocalypse um i forgot what somebody else kind of chimed in but they chimed in about uh these fans are better than nba fans or something along the lines of that kevin durant's response was you show up to the Barclays with a player if you want to. You ain't getting in. You're going to end up in Rikers. 
He's so right. <laughs> like Kevin Durant is so right. I'm also gonna say that I, I'm I'm not the one playing on the court, so I don't know what's being said. But the visual of this, I like it. The flares? I do. I do, bro. I like anarchy. <laughs> like I just like I like destruction. But I mean, we're talking at a basketball game. The only thing that concerns me is indoor. Right. So <laughs> that's the only thing you that like. They're literally me. burning the building down, essentially. That's why Kevin Durant literally thinks that he's in hell right now. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Speaking of that, let's get to the NBA, man. Let's get to the <laughs> let's get to the NBA and the playoffs because there's plenty of things to talk about in the playoffs and there's some storylines, some storylines on the court, some storylines off the court. I actually want to start. Over in Memphis, I want to start over in Memphis with Golden State, mainly because we have a series that's tied 1-1, and I'm not going to lie, two games into this series, it's, it's, right ex- it's, it's exactly where I wanted it to be, mainly because it means we have more good basketball on the way, and you're probably going to be giving us a lot of your analysis during this particular hour. However, I want to start this with the Dylan Brooks foul. Um, wow. I try to pick my words very, very wisely when it comes to times like this because I've met Dylan Brooks a couple of times. And super respectful guy, super cool guy. And based on everything that um, the guys in the locker room have said about him and even told me about him in the past, the description always to describe Dylan Brooks is he will give you the shirt off his back. And I've heard that too much to the point to where Dylan Brooks has given somebody the shirt off his back before. Like, I, he, he's, he, he's had to do it. Because I've heard it too much. So I think somebody has actually witnessed that before. So it's hard for me to look at this particular play and keep all of that in mind while watching what was blatantly a dirty play. Yeah. I mean, this this series is going to be fun. I, I can tell you that right now. I hope it goes seven. It could go seven. I don't know if it goes seven. I don't think it will. I want it to. Um. I do think, you know, Dylan Brooks's play, given who he fouled, yeah, could have very well been a retaliation from game one. For sure. Even though Dylan Brooks wasn't the one that got fouled in game one. I think it was very, particularly with this starting as early as it did in the game, mm. There, you could tell that the Grizzlies were going to set a tone for game two and they were more importantly going to send a message to Draymond Green that you're not about to come into Memphis and you're not about to do what you want. So Gary Payton came away with a uh, break. Well, had a breakaway dunk. I believe either Draymond or Steph kind of came up with the steal, but Gary Payton, the second had a wide open dunk and, there's no free passes in, in, in during the postseason, and we definitely understand that. However, we understand being out of position, right? And having been so – and I'll admit this – having been so removed from sports in terms of playing for so long, um, I've had those conversations where you kind of tell coach, like, yeah, I know what we're not supposed to give up, but I was out of position. Like, plain and simple, I'm out of position. So – it can go worse if I'm out of position. So you you you, you kind of pick your poison in those moments. And 
I think what's interesting is if you ask Dylan Brooks a million times, I think a million and one, he would tell you, I would do it again. That kind of bothers me a little bit. Only because there was a there there's a break in this situation. So I, I haven't heard exact exact timetable. I heard it's like a, a slight fracture, whatever the case may be, regardless of the fact. What if GP doesn't play anymore this postseason? So again, that can have lasting a lasting outcome on a his future, right? Long term, but just in terms of the immediate this postseason, like that that could have really hurt the Warriors' chances. Not to mention Draymond Green taking an elbow uh, to the eye, responding to the fans, giving them a little uh, a little flip off. And I don't know if you heard his comments after the game, but he said if they can be nasty, and of course he alluded to the fact that he has got elbowed and there's blood dripping down his face. They didn't know if he was concussed. I understand why Draymond said all of that. I don't care that Draymond said all of that, in my humble opinion. Who cares? I tell you this all the time. Draymond should have left it at, if they can be nasty, I can be nasty too. Just leave it at that. I'm such a cut and dry person. Like, fam, why are we talking about this? They said what they said. I did what I did. We got, you know, we we lost. We're headed back to Golden State 1-1. See me there. <laughs> like that's just that's just where I'm at with it. So I kind of liked his approach, aside from over-explaining in that area, but that probably made the, the 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 penalty go down just a tad bit from what it was originally at. Um, if it was at 50, then they went ahead and dumbed it down to 25, which was the final number that Draymond was fine. You got some other news about Draymond that you wanted to get to, didn't you? Yeah. Something about, you know, talking heads, man. I mean. Uh, it can go bad. I, I know. These – these guys, um, you know, and it. No, I'm not gonna say exactly what I was gonna say because that <laughs> that could ruin a reputation. Ooh. But anyway, um, this is one of those topics. Yeah, um, but you know, it, a story came out. What was it yesterday? I guess that when I saw it, I didn't think it was gonna gain much traction. I thought it would be something that might be talked about for a couple hours and then kind of moved on. Right. At 7 o'clock tonight, people are still talking about the same story. And, you know, you had your talking head shows, you know, first take for ESPN. Maybe yep. it's Undisputed for Fox or um, The Herd for Fox or whatever show you want to, you know, kind of pull up. Right. Uh, in this case, it was... um. It was first take with ESPN. Yep. And um, for those that may not have been paying attention too close with first take, um, they're kind of right now at least um, finding, you know, a rotation of guest analysts to debate Stephen A. Smith, um, you know, until they find their next Max Kellerman that they can permanently put at the table. We got to uh, address that one day as well. Yeah. Because yeah. I know the one issue with that. I, Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna leave it at that. Yeah, um, but in this case, it was you know I guess uh, Mad Dog Russo. Yep, Chris uh, Mad Dog Russo. It was his day against Stephen A. Smith, and uh, I believe they even had J.J. Redick on the set as yep. well. Um, which, by the way, they may have found their new debate partner. Anywho, I, I'm just or, saying or host. 
I'm, I'm just saying ESPN. Come on now. It's staring you right, right in the face. Um, anyway. I would pay to see J.J. JJ Reddick and Richard Jefferson go at it. Oh, that would be great. That would be musty television. I don't even care what the topic is. You, you they, could, they could argue about light bulbs. Yeah, you could be debating paint drying on the wall. I don't care. Thanks. I'm, de- I'm tuning into the debate. I'm near front and center. And uh, you don't need a moderator. Just let them, let no, them go. Just go. Uh, you know, as long as you want. You know, <laughs> d- no no commercial breaks, nothing. At all. Um, but but we, we shouldn't do the same with Mad Dog. Why is that? Mad Dog um, made some comments that... I think rubbed, including myself, a lot of new school fans to sports in general, and particularly the NBA, the wrong way. Hmm. He, as soon as he said it, I instantly knew what kind of fan he was. And he didn't. Ha- he only had to say one phrase for me to pick up what, what kind of fan he was. And what was that phrase? Um... I, I, I want to say it was shut up and dribble, but it wasn't that. It was, I think, shut up and play was his exact phrase. It was really close to shut up and dribble. Um, almost to a T. Oh, that's tough. And he was saying this in context to Draymond Green, who was um, talking about the incident that happened in games one and two and all that. And, um, you know, to kind of put it in, you know, layman terms of what Chris Russo said. He said, you know, you know, America's tired of Draymond Green and, uh, you know, nobody cares. And, uh, you know, Draymond Green should just focus on playing the game and, and, and stuff like that. And I'm here to say you're going to be waiting a long time if that's what you're hoping for, Mad Dog. Because what you see Draymond Green doing is the Draymond Green that you have always gotten and will continue to get. He got ejected and then addressed his ejection on his own television show. Yeah. And, Shit, and, and that's hard. I watched that too. <laughs> and the crazy thing is, he was smiling about it. Fam, as a media member, <laughs> like we want to break that story. We want that. I'm so happy that Draymond broke his own story. Like, fam, like we talk about controlling the narrative all the time, and now we're seeing these players actually do it. The reason why you you, t- you actually texted me about this topic, and you said, "Hey, can we bring it up?" And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't going to. And the reason why I wasn't going to is because this is going to sound like a personal shot at, at Mad Dog, and it's not. But I mean this in, in every situation. Sometimes you got to let sleeping dogs lie. And what I found interesting about this, this uh, profession that we're in is we talk a lot to people who don't understand the profession. And what I mean by that is I grew up a certain type of way where if something happened, like most more than likely more often than not off camera depending on who all saw it per- firsthand we didn't need to ever address it the way that jj reddick responded to mad dog russo i loved it every second of it is the reason why i felt the need to never bring it up because that level of embarrassment i felt secondhand embarrassment yeah i i felt jj reddick hit Russo with the ultimate check you in your spot moment. And <laughs> I'm going to steal a little bit of what JJ Reddick said only because it was funny to listen to and it still rings true. It, it, it's funny to listen to Mad Dog Russo who is such this big fan of old school basketball. I mean, 
it's almost like he would have thought that Bob Cousy was the next MJ. Fam. You know what's funny? And and people always say it's not a race thing, right? I'm going to say that it's not a race thing, and then I'm going to give you a situation where that obviously seems like a race thing, right? It's not a race thing. However, I seen somebody post um, highlights of Bob Cousy, and they said, I think the caption was, oh, what Kyrie going to do with that? The answer is run circles around him. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm sorry to the fans who love Bob Cousy and everybody else from that generation. Russell Westbrook is manhandling anybody from back there. Yeah. Kyrie Irving is manhandling anybody from back Brandon Jennings, his rookie season, is manhandling a lot of y'all goats from back there. Yeah. And to listen to a guy that speaks so highly of baseball like <laughs> almost like it's the 70s still and has the narrative it openly says he has the narrative of shut up and play well that's ironic because guess what you're getting paid to speak your opinion who's to say Draymond Green can't do the same who by the way has signed a deal with the volume to have his own show has signed a talent deal with Turner why because as JJ Reddick you know said in his response people care what Draymond Green has to say with all due respect nobody gives a flying flip what Mad Dog Russo has to say people want to hear Draymond talk for the same reason why they don't want Charles Barkley to ever leave NBA on TNT there's a certain level of unfiltered of rawness that kind of comes with that people want with their sports. And, again, that's what we're trying to do with this media company. There are some lines that people need to toe. But at the same time, too, there are certain lines that people toe that are just unnecessary. Like, you could address the elephant in the room. And I think that's what Draymond does a lot of times. And he rubs people the wrong way. But the interesting thing is he's not going to stop being Draymond, right? It's already gotten him three championships. Hell, he may be on his way to a fourth one. But regardless of the fact, they have to get past Memphis, right? They got to get past Memphis, a team that's 1-1, one one, tied with them right now, headed back to Golden State. But bigger than that, even if they do get past Memphis, they have to either take on the winner of the Dallas Mavericks or between the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns. I believe it was the Back and Forth podcast. Ooh. You tweeted something recently, or you posted something recently to Instagram, and your cover art was the Suns and Four guy. That's right. I remember this. I didn't say anything to you in a moment, I don't think. But in that moment, I made a mental note, and I said, yeah, probably. Yeah. I said what I said about Luka Doncic and, and, and him being good enough to come back and probably get a game or maybe two games against Utah. However, I don't care how good Luka is. I'm not sure that they're stopping Phoenix in this round. I'm not sure that they get a game in this series. So you have Chris Paul playing at point God level, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to say something that a lot of people did, looked at me like as if I was crazy a little a while back. But I remember being asked to do this, this um, documentary on Brandon McCoy, ironically enough. And I remember talking to Brandon after his first summer league and – um, we talked about just him getting comfortable, and he said he's only been playing basketball for however long, and he wanted to be more comfortable in the, in, in, uh, the system and just in basketball as a whole. 
during the part of the documentary where I was asked to kind of come in and speak, one of the questions that I remember they asked was like, what advice would you give to Brandon McCoy? And I said, one thing that I've learned is when it comes to Marvin Menzies is he's a motivator. He motivates him. I said, but the one thing that I've noticed about Brandon is he still has those moments where we see it in high school a lot, right? Where a player will make a mistake on the court and they instantly look at coach. I see you thinking. I'm watching you think, right? I can, I can literally see. I can see the wheels turning. My advice to Brandon McCoy was you have to stop thinking about it on the court. I said, because the moment you stop thinking about it on the court, you can become JaVale McGee. And there were people that chuckled. And I laughed at their laughing. And in my mind, I thought, how many different ways can you tell me you don't get it? Fast forward to now, there is no way, in whether you agree with Reggie Miller or not, there is no way in hell that Reggie Miller should have said at any point in game two that there is no offensive drop-off between DeAndre Aiden and JaVale McGee. That's a Dallas problem. Mm-hmm. I love JaVale McGee. <laughs> that was my point of saying that Brandon McCoy point. There is no way in hell that JaVale McGee and DeAndre Aiden are the same person offensively. They're not. At least in my opinion, I don't think they are. To that, you say what? I think think both work in certain systems, to be quite honest with you. I think we saw the best of JaVale McGee with the Warriors because it fit JaVale McGee's style. Right. I think for part of the season – we may have even seen the best of Brandon McCoy. Granted, yes, you can make the argument when conference play rolled around, Brandon McCoy started becoming a little bit of a shell of his own self. Right. I'd probably give you that. That's pretty valid. But I think for the most part, particularly out of conference, we saw Brandon McCoy that really fit into Marvin Menzies' system. And you kind of started to see why Brandon McCoy chose UNLV. Um, At least part of the reason why he chose UNLV. And that's, you know, yeah. I didn't say anything. I know. (laughs) I had to to think about that, and that's why I rephrased it, because, and and I'll just leave it at that. It's probably part of the reason he chose UNLV was because of the system. One of them. Yeah. One of the reasons for sure. Why do you think Juice chose UNLV over Kansas? Never mind. Keep going. Yeah, I'm going to just keep going on that. I could find myself in a whole lot of trouble down that, that just road. But keep going. Um, but, no, I mean, I, I think it's a lot of, um, you know, it's it's a reason a lot of people choose different destinations. Sometimes they're a little bit obscured and um, it kind of leaves you shaking your head and going, why did they choose that place? Right. A lot of times it's fit. It's no different than the average Joe going to, you know, multiple job interviews and getting multiple offers and, Sometimes it's you, you might take a pay cut if you feel it's going to be a better fit for you long term. Absolutely. If you feel like it's a better environment, if you feel like you can grow more with a certain company, you might be okay with taking a pay cut knowing that that's all right because I'm going to see that money on the back end anyways. Growing in that company, getting comfortable, um, you know, it, it, it'll come eventually. Um, or, you know, whatever the situation may be, you know, sometimes, you, you know, the the best person to look out for is your own self. Hmm. And I think in the case of JaVale McGee, 
I think JaVale McGee going to the Warriors, he probably realized, am I making the most money I can? Probably not. Am I going to a team that I feel is the best fit for me? Absolutely. And I think the same can be said for Brandon McCoy. Brandon McCoy knew he was not going to the best schools on his offer list, especially when you have schools up there such as Michigan State, uh, some pretty high-level schools that, that, up there. <laughs> yeah, that you know, you look at it and they're a regular national championship contender year in and year out, but they might not have been the fit for Brandon McCoy. Hmm. Or they may not have given or been able to offer everything Brandon was looking for in a destination to what Vegas could offer him. And so that's why I always like to say that, you know, like I said, if you find a player or a, you know, coach even at a certain spot and you, you kind of scratch your head going, well, that, that kind of seems weird given the options that might have been available to them, a lot of times it's fit. And, and it, if you find yourself in a system that fits yourself well, the overall long-term performance is going to be greater than just going to that high-level um, entity where you might not feel like you fit, but you know you you may get a ring out of it. Essentially, Miami's on a hunt for a ring. I'll tell you that much. Miami's on a hunt for a ring. They're up 2-0 on Philadelphia right now. I heard Chris Broussard say something that I I want to kind of start this topic with. And he said that Dre or excuse me, that the James Harden of old, the James Harden who would post the 35 point triple doubles, the 40 to 50 point triple doubles is no longer. If that's the case, This Brooklyn Philly trade might be a wash. Maybe one guy actually touches the floor, but both situations may yield the same results. I I think, you know, you look on the Brooklyn side, they're they've made no secret about the fact that they would like to move on from Ben Simmons. They're a little bit fed up with Ben Simmons in a sense, and if you're having the discussion of you keep KD, Kyrie, or Ben Simmons, one of them's going to have to go. I think Ben Simmons is the odd man out. I think Kyrie has proven that, yes, although he does play some antics every now and then, he can be a menace on his own team as far as reliability and when he's available. I'll say this much about Kyrie Irving. When he is available and when he is on the floor, he's proven to be one of the most valuable pieces to that team to a point where he's just valuable enough that you don't want to cut a guy like that because you know what he's going to do at a different destination. Very true. And you're definitely not going to cut Kevin Durant, who in Kyrie's absence and Ben Simmons' absence has really put the team on his back, much like he did last postseason and was half a shoe size away from going to the NBA Finals and matching up against the Phoenix Suns. I mean. That's going to haunt KD for the rest of his life. Oh, it is. He's, he probably wears smaller shoe size now just because of that now. Like, he probably consciously asks for, if he's a 12, he's asking for an 11 and a half, maybe an 11. I'm going to, we're talking about shoes, and this is a complete random point, and I promise I'm getting back on point. Do you know that Timberlands don't have half sizes? Oh, that's tough. That, just random. So like, I was in the store and I was like, let me get 11 and a half. He looked at me and was like, 11 or 12. I looked at him and said, no, a half. 
He said no, eleven or twelve. <laughs> so bro, either what so is e- happening right now. So either too tight or too. Okay, I got literally, it. Literally, literally, you got to either wear an extra sock or deal with pain. Oh man. That's... So I chose to deal with pain. I wore them like maybe three or four times, and I gave them to my dad. I said, "You got them." Right, so oh it's man, it's not gonna work for me. Yeah, it doesn't sound. Yeah, <laughs> it's not. It's not a not not the place to be. But I have avoided this conversation for a little bit, mainly because I've I said it last week. One of the t- episodes that I did on my on my. Uh, on my own, let's say Ben Simmons is suffering from something mental health-wise. People are going to feel bad about anything they say and they're going to take it back, right? Let's say he's not, and he just simply doesn't want to play basketball. How would I be able to prove that? You can't. Which is exactly the reason why I've been so quiet on this Ben Simmons situation. Because what do you guys want me to say? I personally, this is the only thing I will say about it. Since everybody wants me to talk about it. Alex White, you're probably somewhere right now. And I'm going to send you this, so at least you'll have it. But I remember years ago when I said, what I said similar to Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and they're proving me wrong at this present moment. But when I said that, it doesn't appear to me that you could win with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons. I said, I don't care that Joel Embiid is always hurt. I don't. Because when he's here, I see what he is. I let it be known a while ago to Alex White that if I could get from up under Ben Simmons' contract before the extension, I would have done it. And everybody said, you're trading the next LeBron. You're trading the next LeBron. You're trading the next LeBron. My response has always been, he going to have to show me. Because the one thing that I've always said was, it was disrespectful to LeBron's legacy his first Cleveland legacy to compare him to Ben Simmons at any point of his career so far. Because that LeBron James, you could say that that LeBron James got scared to close, whatever the case may be. For 46 minutes, that LeBron James wasn't afraid to shoot. I could deal with somebody who was afraid to shoot for the last two minutes. Ben Simmons wouldn't shoot. I said before that extension, this guy, has shown me a glimpse into the way he thinks. I don't want that on my team. If you guys think so highly of him, I'm robbing somebody before I have to pay him. All I'm going to say is I'm going to find that clip, and I don't want to be asked about it anymore. Because I told you guys I didn't believe in Ben Simmons a while back. If this does have to do with mental health, because of everything that that he's went through in Philadelphia, it doesn't change my original point. That just made it worse. We pray for mental health always. We want him to be fine mentally. But if that's the case, if he's not okay mentally, this conversation isn't about basketball. Correct. So, got about 15 minutes left in this uh, second hour. We're actually going to wrap it up by talking about Boston. And I put Miami. But Boston, pardon in Milwaukee. I don't want to sound like I'm counting out Philadelphia, especially considering that Joel Embiid hasn't played. Pardon, hasn't played. 
through the first two games of the series with that broken orbital bone. However, without trying to be disrespectful, let's discount them for right now because they're not healthy. They're already down 2-0. Between Milwaukee, Boston, and Miami, the East has three legitimate contenders to come out of it. This Boston-Miami series, or excuse me, Boston-Milwaukee series, we watched game one go completely Milwaukee's way. We watched game two go completely Boston's way. Is this another series that goes seven? Yes. I think if the series is any indication of what game one and game two look like, I think we're we're in store for a seven-game series because game one was basically a polar opposite of Polar opposite of game two and vice versa. Right. That just goes to show how evenly matched these two teams actually are. To the fact that you can make adjustments from game one and get almost a completely different result than you had in game one. And I I think ultimately it's going to come down to who can shoot the ball better. Because Boston put themselves in positions at times to win game one. They were taking the shots they needed to. They were good looks, and they weren't falling. And kind of similarly, Milwaukee kind of got that back to them in game two, where Boston was hitting a lot of those shots that they weren't hitting in game one, and yep. Milwaukee was starting to miss a lot of those shots that they hit in game one. They were starting to miss those in game two. And so really, I mean, I think this is going to be as contra- as maybe a little contradictory as you might think when it comes to playoff basketball, mm-hmm. whoever shoots the ball better, I think, wins the series. And granted, Boston's going to ultimately have home court advantage. Right. I don't know if it matters. I'm happy that you said that because, I mean, through the first two games, it didn't matter, right? Because Milwaukee did still one of them. However... <sighs> I've said it before. It's the feel about Boston. The feel about Boston. Now, for whatever it's worth, if we're talking about me and what I want for my career, my profession, it would behoove me to want Jalen Brown and and Jason Tatum to go down early because I said that I wasn't sure if they could win together, right? Now, I'm here to tell you guys that I have always been open to being wrong. I say that to say that I have Miami and Boston in the in the Eastern Conference Finals. Miami looks kind of un- unstoppable at this point, yet I want Boston to go. Yes. And I've wanted Boston to go for the past couple of years. Um, I think Philly kind of caught my attention last year, but before – or was it two years ago? One of them. But before that – it seems like three out of five, three out of the past five years, I've wanted Boston to win, and that's probably why I was so hectic and so um, kind of so hesitant on the 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 duo that is Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But it appears in this particular season they may have figured it out. What, what Duna is uh, actually commenting um, on our live stream right now, and he's saying that with Chris Middleton, it is a seven-game series. Without Chris Middleton, it is not a seven-game series. Respectfully to Chris Middleton, with the way that he plays and him having a knee injury, I'm not sure if he can get to his spots. And if Chris can't get to his spots, like with all due again, with all due respect to Chris Middleton, he's one of those guys 
I'll throw Paul George in there. I'll throw Carmelo when he was in his prime there. They could be great scorers. If they're out of their rhythm, it doesn't matter how good it looks, it's not going down. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. You can add Jason Tatum in that. When they're going, it looks amazing. They get to, Devin Booker. It gets to the spot. They get to their spot. It, it's, they're not going to miss. And then you have moments where you just watch somebody get thrown off their game, whether it's injuries, whether it's mental, whatever the case may be. And I'm just not sure that even when Chris Middleton does get back, if he gets back, that he's the same Chris Middleton that he was last season or even earlier this season. So I have Boston, and I probably have Boston at six. Um, it would be nice to see it go seven, right? But I definitely don't think we're going to get – let me go ahead and give my hot take then. I don't think we're going to get – I don't think we're going to get multiple seven-game series. We may get one. I don't even know if we're getting one. Memphis and Golden State. I, I want us. I want that to be it. It'll probably be Golden State in six. Match Boston and Miami thinking. better be seven if if they both go. Matt disagrees with me as he often does. Boston versus Miami could be a seven game series. At least in this round, though, of the four series, I don't know if we're gonna see a game seven. We didn't see a game seven in round one. Right. I don't even know if we're getting one in game two because if Golden State can take care of business at home, that yep. puts them up three to one. Yep. I can't see them getting to game seven in that situation. I do. I could. Game six would be the like the heart stopper, like in terms of them saying like, okay, not again. Right. And my le- see, I want Boston to win the series, okay. but but I'm genuinely concerned about Boston. Okay. I think I think they could have. I think they were able to get by in Game Two without Marcus Smart. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they can get past the series without Marcus Smart. Mm-mm. And I look back at Game One and realize that Boston doesn't have a way to stop Giannis. <laughs> the world doesn't. <laughs> like, let's just figure that out. The world doesn't. You know what? Has Giannis ever come out and say said who his toughest defender was? I don't think so, but might be a hell of a question to ask. I'm gonna throw out one answer and I'm gonna get out of there. I'm gonna say Jimmy Butler. I feel like Jimmy would give him give him problems, and I I think it might even be documented that if it's not Jimmy, it's the team that Jimmy you know or teams that he's played for, whether it be Philly, whether it be Miami. It seems like every time they match up with the Bucks and Giannis, mm-hmm. they tend to give him a little bit of fits. Only other person I would say is Kevin Durant because he's seven feet tall. I would say Jimmy before KD. I'm saying Jimmy because J- I, I think Jimmy of the two was the more committed of defenders. For sure. I, oh, mm, all right, I, I know we're moving on, but Kevin Durant motivated in Golden State was a different animal defensively. Like, I watched Kevin Durant put up two blocks and two steals a game. That's that's different if we call him the Slim Reaper for offensive reasons and this guy is going out blocking two shots and getting two steals a game. But we're about to wrap up hour number two of the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. 
Um, before we actually get out of the second hour, I want to let you guys know that um, we got some changes coming to the company. We got some additions coming to the company. Um, and, and to be honest, it's just a long time coming. It's a long time coming. It's things that we've been saying and we wanted to do for so long. So um, these social medias that I'm about to give you guys right now just kind of let you guys know beforehand that that's the place to kind of stick to and find out kind of what's more to come with this media. However, we are going to have um, a company, a group of company socials coming soon. And with that, we'll have some announcements. But before we do that, Let's go ahead and update you guys on our social media. If you guys want to find us on Twitter, it is at TalkThatTalkLV. Once again, you guys can find us on Twitter at TalkThatTalkLV. Any other platform, I'm talking Instagram, I'm talking SoundCloud, Facebook, anything else you guys want to find us on, you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. Once again, you guys can find us at Talk That Talk Radio Show. When we come back for the third and final hour, yes, Mad and I did three hours today. At least we've done two so far. We're about to head into the final hour, and when we do so, we're going to talk Vegas Nighthawks. We're going to talk a little bit about the Raiders and their drafts and their draft um, additions. Maybe some hand scratchers in there. I don't I don't know. I could be wrong. Uh, we're going to talk about the Vegas Golden Knights and how they're prepping for their upcoming offseason. Or I guess they're in the middle of it. And then we have some uh, baseball news to give you guys involving both the Aviators and the Oakland Athletics. So stay here. 11 o'clock, we will be back. Actually, maybe a little bit before 11 o'clock. We will be right back, and we will be wrapping up this episode of the Talk That Talk radio show on Cinco de Mayo. Hour number three of the Talk That Talk radio show. I am your host, Terrell Chatterbox Emerson, in studio with my guy, Matthew Raftery. Matt, what's going on, man? Been a fir good first couple hours and uh, looking to close out strong. Looking to close out strong, we're actually going to close out with some with some Vegas talk. We're going to close out with some local news. We opened this show. First two hours, all basketball talk. First two hours, all basketball talk. We had an hour of Aces news. We had, what else did we have? We had um, NBA news, of course. What else did we have? We had some Panathinaikos updates, letting you guys know that Panathinaikos got their first win of the A1 Greek finals. So now they they trail Olympiacos as a, as a matter of fact two to one they trail rival Olympiacos two to one, but we still got some news to get to. I think I'm gonna switch it up. I think I'm gonna switch it up. Only because you're here, Matt. <laughs> and I didn't want to talk this first, but kind of makes sense if we want to. Stay on track with our nightly news. Let's switch it up this time around. Let's go to the Nighthawks because, or excuse me, to the Vegas Golden Knights because it seems like so long ago now, but you're getting ready for graduation, so there was a couple of episodes that you couldn't make it. One of those episodes I was talking about, or before you actually had missed, we were talking about how I felt it would be poetic justice if – the Golden Knights had their seasons ended by the Chicago Blackhawks, whether they played them or whether Mark andre Fleury was playing for them or not. That's exactly what happened, considering that this team ended their regular season with three road games. They went one and two in those final three. They actually dropped the first two before winning seven to four against St. Louis in St. Louis for their season finale. However, that four to three loss against Chicago what was that, two games before, maybe, or uh, two days before, I should say, um, was the final nail in the coffin for Pete DeBoer, 
and his guys over at the T-Mobile Arena. Why did you see this happening in November? Oh, okay. I was just making sure. Um, I, I was seeing if they they had a game in the playoffs. I don't think so. Not the Knights. Hmm? I, I mean, I just look at the schedule. I didn't see their name on there, but, you know, hey, I, I always like to check. Yeah, I'm looking at the standings, too. I don't think so. No. no I, I didn't see them matched up with anybody in the playoffs. Uh, you didn't see it in November, either. So, I, you you clearly was ahead of the curve, <laughs> so it, which with some some of this, apparently. Yeah. Because uh, I, I was curious. I was like, I wonder what time the Knights. Oh, never mind. That's tough. <laughs> but, I mean, this was kind of telegraphed. You could sense that the way the roster was constructed, this wasn't going to end well. And it sounds crazy to say, given that at one point in time during the season, this team was standing atop the Pacific Division. Yep. And... Then the collapse started happening. A division that they lost by 17 points, by the way. I even warned people to watch out for this team in the second half, and not for a good reason. But, again, and I, those that know me know that I've always been very critical of the Vegas sports fan base as a whole, whether we're talking UNLV, whether we're talking the Golden Knights, the Aces, the Raiders, it doesn't really matter. Yep. They were so, I don't really like using this word, but it's probably the most appropriate for the situation. Talk to me. They were so arrogant when I said that and didn't really want to believe it. And so you can only say so much and then you, and then I, at a certain point I was like, okay, but just know when it happens that you won't be the first ones talking about it and it won't be the first you won't be the first ones bringing it up because we got the tapes from November and December when I felt like I was on my own island saying that the Knights weren't going to make the playoffs. You definitely were were on your own island in this room. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. So that's why I'm going to continue to give you your flowers now because I don't know how many people knew it that early on. There were people who in March – we're still kind of hanging on the fact of, no, this team is going to the post again. And to be brutally honest, not making the playoffs was probably the best thing this team could have had happen to them. Because let's, let's, play, let's play a series of hypotheticals. Let's say this team did make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. They're probably one of the last few in. You... Don't have home uh, home ice advantage, and you're probably starting out against a team in Colorado. So you're probably the first one out. Have you seen what Colorado's been doing to Nashville? No. Did you see what Colorado did to this team during the regular season? My point exactly. We every a lot of people in the hockey world believed Nashville was a pretty good team. They played Colorado in Game One. And, Colorado beat them like seven to two. So, if you're a Knights fan, I mean, you take Nashville out and you put yourself in, you might still get the same result. Imagine being called or being told as a goalie that the NHL postseason slows down, and then you go out there and give up seven in your first one. 
I don't even know if they had a first-time goalie in between the pipes, but I'm just saying. Yeah. What if you've never played a postseason game and a coach tells you is going to slow down and you give up seven? That always seems to be the notion when it comes to the playoffs is that games are a little more low-scoring, uh, defenses come out, and there's usually the best of the best goaltending of the entire season in this postseason doesn't feel that way. This, this so far, this postseason feels like it's been very remnants of the regular season, in, in the fact that a lot of these games are high scoring. Shockingly, um, I almost I would have thought that we would have seen a lot more three two type of finals. Um, two one isn't incredibly unrare to see in the post in the postseason. Typically with the NHL. Right. But I mean, we're seeing five three still, you know, six two type of finals where, I mean, the games are high scoring and there's a lot of action going on. Um, when it comes to the Golden Knights, you know, again, I don't, I don't feel that confident that they would have even gotten out of the first round and. I think missing the playoffs is going to wake up a lot of people within the organization. Um, maybe it's the right people, quite frankly, that need to be woken up. Um, but I still stand on the notion that there is going to be what I like to call a nuclear bomb coming to this franchise in the very near future. And we're still going to see a lot of new faces coming into the next season. We could see a new GM. Inevitably, we could also see a new head coach, and we could be talking about different players in different places because I think it's one of those, if you start with the GM, much like we saw and compared a domino effect when we were talking about Marc-Andre Fleury last Mm offseason, if you start firing the GM, we're going to see another one of those domino effects that could very well trickle down to the roster. And we say it all the time. Whenever there is right, we're, we talked about Becky Hammond earlier. Whenever there is a, a change of the a changing of the guard like that, I mean, you're going to get personnel changes that comes with it. And oftentimes, it's a haul, and that may include, you know what I mean, some of the bigger pieces, some of the more bigger name pieces. I, I, w- I would say. And I was I was doing some math over here, but I wanted to be sure about it. So, three of the Knights' final four losses of the season. You ready to go over them? Mm-hmm. A loss at home to the New Jersey Devils. A loss at home to the San Jose Sharks. A loss on the road at Dallas. And a loss on the road at Chicago. Now, let's stay here. Because... Let's take away that loss at Dallas, right? Mm -hmm. I said it was going to happen, but let's take it away. 46-30-6. That's the overall record for the Dallas Stars. 41 up, or excuse me, 46 up, 30 down, six overtime losses. However, the overall record between the San Jose Sharks, Chicago Blackhawks, and New Jersey Devils you want to take a stab in the dark and tell me how many wins that those three te- those three three franchises have? Combined forty for this season. Combined forty. Eighty-seven. 
They're 87, 125, and 33. Well below 500. They're f- close to 40 games under 500. And those three teams combined to hand the Golden Knights three of their final four losses. And all three did not make the playoffs. Yep. Dallas being the only playoff team in that mix of four. Yep. And this is the same team that hung, what was it, six goals against a Calgary team that put up 111 points this season. And it didn't seemingly matter at the end of the day. It didn't matter at all. I told you guys it wouldn't. Now, changes are going to be made, obviously, right? Mm-hmm. Where do they start and how deep do they extend? I think it starts in the front office. I think I think the writing is now and really has been on the wall for Kelly McCrimmon, the GM for the Golden Knights. I think that Trading away Marc-Andre Fleury and seeing now what they got back in return. And Nothing. See, and, My bad. Yeah. I mean, you said My it. My bad. You said it. So, I mean, you're not You know wrong. what's weird when I do that? I typically do it and I have a way out. I yeah. didn't have one out. No. That time. I just said it and I looked around and was like, damn. You're not, <laughs> you're not wrong. It's, it's, it was nothing. You gave them away. It, yeah. For what? Peanuts. I was going to say, a bag of Doritos and a Snickers bar? No, that's too much. <laughs> like, it, it, like it's You the, get one it, or the other. <laughs> honestly, you might get a couple of both. You might get a half a Snicker and, like, two Doritos. That's what you get out of the deal. Um, it's about as long as it lasted. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but you give away the heart and soul of the franchise. You give away 1A, heart and soul of the franchise, and Ryan Reeves. Mm-hmm. And you season, and then you get to the trade deadline, and now you start trading players that can't be traded to certain teams. That seems like a GM responsibility. And by the way, the amount of people that tried to defend Kelly McCrimmon on that, I, I don't care what the situation was. I tried, Mom. You're a GM. You should know where every one of your players is allowed to be traded to and not allowed to be traded to. I still can only do so much if the other team doesn't give me that paperwork. Do your due diligence and pick up the phone. They had the paperwork, obviously. Kelly, I'm trying. Again, it goes back to the early analogy. Would you ever purchase a car without test driving it first? Or knowing... Are you asking me or Kelly? I mean, maybe more so Kelly than... Maybe Kelly's like that. Maybe he's just like, yeah, give me that one. Um, without knowing what the warranty is, without knowing the specs, without knowing all the basic information that you need to know? I have so many jokes right now, and I don't want to do it. They're all disrespectful. All of them. I might be in the mood to listen to a few of them. All of them. All of them. Because I feel like there is an equivalent for that car reference that you just said Mm -hmm. behind that Marc-Andre Fleury trade. Sometimes you just buy a lemon and you don't realize that it's a lemon until you already are stuck with the lemon. Well, in this case, he gave away lemonade for a lemon. <laughs> he had he had a good thing going, and that's working in reverse. Um, and now I think, and I'm gonna try and say this, and not take a too personal shot with Robin Leonard. Okay. I think similar to what Philadelphia is facing with Ben Simmons, mm-hmm. you might be looking at a similar situation with the Golden Knights and Robin Leonard. 
it might be something that you're stuck with now. And now it obviously being the Brooklyn Nets with Ben Simmons, I think it's still the same situation as if he was still in Philadelphia. I I think if Vegas had their option, they would try to move Robin Leonard. The problem is, is a who's going to want Robin Leonard because there's a few factors working against him. One, he's currently, I believe undergoing surgery for um, his shoulder. And two, he's making over $5 million a year. So you have to find a team that wants to take a chance on Robin Leonard and has the cap space to do so. You mentioned that it's, it could be the same situation as Ben Simmons. Um, I'm going to take it a different route because I thought you were talking about the exact same thing, and I know that you're going you're gonna to mirror my sentiments on this one, but I was also going to go with the mental health route. Could be. And with that... I always say that there's a certain level of arrogance that it takes to be successful. Meaning, talk to that 13th player on the end of an NBA bench. You can't talk to them and bring them your outside NBA credentials. They don't care. Like, I'm still in the NBA. If I came to your 24 down the street from your house, I'm locking everybody up. Like, that's just the way that it's going to go. Once a player loses that, It's kind of hard to get them back. We watched Markel Fultz, right? Ironically enough, it was Philadelphia too. So that's why I refuse to say that Ben Simmons isn't going through something. But for for sake of this particular conversation, let's talk about Robin Leonard. And he's been open about reading the criticisms before the game. And Robin Leonard is obviously more well-traveled than me, right? However, maybe he needs to hear this, but Robin – Vegas fans, Vegas hockey fans, aren't as bad as Chicago hockey fans, aren't as bad as Pittsburgh hockey fans, Detroit hockey fans. So going back to your question of if you trade him, where do you send him? Let's say that you do get another team to bite. But what happens if it's in one of the worst markets? Or if it's in one of what if, happens if it's in one of those worst markets, rather? Not the worst market, but what happens if it's one of those worst markets compared to Vegas? What happens if he gets sent to, the, to, to a Detroit? You I, have a bad week in Detroit. You're... I must say something that's a little hot take-ish. Oh, gosh. I'm ready. So you mentioned all those markets, and you said they weren't as, or Vegas wasn't as bad as those markets. <laughs> I would say they're worse. Okay. Okay. I would I, I would think that in my personal opinion, given how Vegas hockey fans are, certain games, I might want to be in those other markets. Because those other markets understand the lull that hockey franchises go through. They understand that there's those years that the team is just not good and the team is not winning consistently. They've experienced that. Even in a a market such as Pittsburgh that has been known, including this year, to having success, winning Stanley Cups, having a winning tradition, even a team like Pittsburgh and a franchise like the Pittsburgh Penguins, they've gone through their years where the team hasn't been as good. I mean, you can look as as re- more recent as when you know the immediate year or two after they 
um, lost Marc-Andre Fleury to the Golden Knights via the expansion draft. Pittsburgh wasn't all that great. They were, they were, you know, 500, maybe a little below 500. They weren't the Pittsburgh Penguins everybody had grown and grown accustomed to seeing. Right. Um, Chicago Blackhawks. They, I mean, for the better part now of what feels like almost a decade, and it might be pretty close to that, it feels like that franchise has really fallen off in, you know, winning and um, winning games consistently since they won their last Stanley Cup. Your timeline was pretty close to mine. I'm wondering what that when, when was their last Stanley Cup. I'm going to keep going. So, in a lot of cases, I think if you're Robin Leonard, you don't mind going to those markets because it's to teams that they the fans understand that those are going to be the there's going to be years that it just doesn't click. As we've alluded to and mentioned in, you know, at this point, God knows how many shows, Vegas has been very spoiled. Vegas doesn't know what a losing season looks like I've until never now. I've seen so many spoiled people with nothing to show for it. Yeah. I, I've, I've never seen it. Like, at least Laker fans, they get, they get under your skin, but it's like, damn, you got 17? It's like you could be mad at the Yankees all day long. It's like you got twenty eight. I mean, with Vegas fans, they they keep, for whatever reason, bringing up the nineties and all. They're they're kind of weird. Anyway, I went to school with Tark's grandson. I tell people that all the time. So the title that you're talking about, yeah, his grandpa's brought it. Like that's the way I, that's the way I look at it. Yeah, and that I mean, it shows that their expectations haven't changed since. Um, regardless of the situation, but. I, a lot of that is carryover, I think, to the Golden Knights. Mm. Um, granted, I don't think initially the expectation was for this team to do what they ended up doing in years one, two, three, and so on and so forth. But because the year was what it was in year one, fans just thought, well, this team gets better. And, you know, maybe that's why I think a lot of times the expectation of cup or bust. Mm hmm came about in the following years after year one because year one was kind of like a baseline type of year where you were setting the foundation. You were setting the tone for how you wanted the franchise to operate in coming years. That also kind of gave off maybe, maybe kind of a false sense of hope in a sense to the fans that in more so an unrealistic look at the team that, you know, this team is inevitably, and the franchise particularly as a whole, is not going to be in cup contention every single year. Yep. I don't want to be this guy to say it, but we're here in Vegas with, with gambling, right? Yeah. Some of the wor- One of the worst things that can happen to people who are not used to gambling is hitting big your first time. Yeah, a lot. Because you, you search your, the rest of your life trying to hit that again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, a lot of times, um, you know, you might sit down at a new machine, for example. And like you said, you might get a nice hit out of it. Right. And, that, you know, that that's cool. You know, you might walk away from a machine you may have only played $10 on. You might walk away with five or 600 bucks in your pocket. And you're like, this is pretty cool. Facts. And like you said, after that moment, you're always searching for that hit again. And, um, you know, 
I'll say this: Vegas was not built on winners. That's what people don't realize. People don't realize that. What I will say too is just to to give you guys a, a an actual um, situation to kind of pull from. I told my dad I turned twenty one and I went to Paris. Uh, I'm talking about Paris on the Strip, guys. And um, that'd been dope if you went to the actual Paris. Yeah, fam, what for twenty one too? That'd have been dope. That that's they, they probably got some some real nice. Yeah, I would have stayed. Oh yeah, <laughs> I would have stayed. You might still be over there, by the way. Man, what? we would have been doing this on Instagram live <laughs> in a different way. Um, but but no, in all seriousness, uh, my main thing that I that I take from my twenty first birthday, I don't know if I told the story on the, on the show before, but if not, let me go ahead and get it out the way. Uh, I called my dad and I told him I said, "Hey, I just left Paris, or I'm at Paris. I'm about to hit this craps table. We'll see what we'll see what happens. Whatever the case may be." Um. First time, obviously, gambling and stuff in Vegas, and I went up maybe 350 something crazy, and I started with, like, 60 bucks, like, mm-hmm. something crazy. So I'm like, oh, I'm up, I'm up, up. So I'm with somebody at the time. I look at her, and I'm, I'm like, I'm going to turn it in. Like, I'm going to go ahead. 350 is a win. I'm going to walk away. I was at a $10 crap table. I walked by a $5 table, looked at her, and was like, I just whooped that ten dollar table. I'm about to cash out at this five dollar table. I called my dad in a panic in about fifteen minutes and said I played it all back. My dad said you played what back? I said the money I won. He said how much did you win? I said three fifty. He said so. You played that back. I said in its entirety. He gave me one good laugh and said go home. I said, nah, I feel like I can get it back. He said, TC, go home. That's how people lose everything. He said, everybody has a story like that in Vegas. You mm-hmm. got yours. He said, welcome to Vegas. Yeah. So, I, everybody has a moment, right? Yeah. And, and I will say, um, not to give too much away, Uh-oh. we may be having similar conversations Maybe later on, within the company. Um, I'll say that. Okay. I, I, I'm not going to try and give too much away. But oh, man. similar conversations might come up on, you know, some, some programming or whatnot. You might, you might just say, yeah, that's why you got to follow the social media. Oh, you have to. You got to follow the sure social media because you never know what it's going to drop. Um, but I think it's it's a good point that in that case... It was better to lose their money than yours. Word. Uh, it didn't feel any better in the moment. No, of course not. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, you're like, I, got, I made 350 bucks and then gave it back. But in reality, I mean, it could have been worse. It could have been like, yeah, that was 350 bucks of my own money that I gave to them. I just was essentially giving it back to them. And I'm, I'm trying to remember if I did this correctly at this, or if I'm naming these two places correctly. I'm pretty sure I've gambled at the MGM and taken my chips to go pay for breakfast at the, at, at the Mirage. Like, that's the type of spoiled I am as a gambler. Like, I'm taking your chips from here to go buy my food over here. Like, I'm one of those. Yeah. Like, you guys go cashing out. Like, you, you figure it out. The money's still, the money's good. But um, for whatever it's worth, you just said it, and I think you, you perfectly kind of um, summed it up. And if this was a podcast, the episode would 100% be called Vegas Wasn't Built on Winners. Because... You get the sense that, and I've I've used this word before, and I, I I would love to use a different one. I just don't have a different one. 
you get the sense that a lot of Vegas fans are delusional. That's a good word for them. It's a good, solid word is delusional. Um, unrealistic. Hmm. And to be quite honest, sensitive. Because try saying anything bad about any of the Vegas teams, especially if they're doing good. I dare you to say, give me your order of which one of those three you'd rather be called first. Is Sensitive, unrealistic, or what, what else did I say? Delusional. Delusional. Which one would you rather be called? I'd rather be called unrealistic out of the three. If I'm a fan? If, if, that's the thing. If I'm a fan, you can call me unrealistic all day long. If I'm a fan, I don't mind being sensitive. I don't mind being sensitive about my team because I care. I'm, 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 I'm tied in enough that I care. Being unrealistic results in so much pain. Like, I don't want to be unrealistic. I don't. I feel like, though, if you're unrealistic – that just means you want the absolute most for your team. Do you think I would be here right now if I told myself that the Pacers would win a title every year? I would have killed myself right now. Like, I truthfully would have put too much stress on my heart. It just, it's not worth it. It's just not. Like, the only team that I really think has a legitimate shot every year is the Packers. Everybody else, I just I, I cross my fingers. Whatever happens, happens. Let the chips fall where they may. Isn't that where we started this show? Speaking of letting the chips fall where they may, um, and speaking of chips, right? Uh... Last time I talked to you, we talked about the Vegas Nighthawks. And I told you that this team was on a two, three-game losing streak, actually, and they were headed to the defending champs in Massachusetts, in the Massachusetts, Massachusetts Pirates. I'm here to tell you, Matt, that in stunning fashion, the Nighthawks got the job done, 46-44. to The biggest storyline of the night was the new quarterback under center for the Vegas Nighthawks, and that's Jared Evans. And again, let me make actually – Double-check that because it could be Gerard Evans as well. But um, Evans came in, went 18 for 25, threw for 203 yards, four touchdowns. He also rushed for three touchdowns. So in his in in his first game as a Nighthawk, turns in seven touchdowns, is named the Offensive Player of the Week, and he lifts the Vegas Golden – or the Vegas Nighthawks, excuse me, over the defending champions in the Massachusetts Pirates. They actually came in with one loss – on their record. They came in with one loss on their record, absolutely dominating the IFL, and now they have a loss on their record courtesy of the Vegas Nighthawks. The Vegas Nighthawks, that win was their third win in seven games. That was a week eight matchup. So now they're fourth in the Western Conference. Again, they're three and four. They have one more game coming up. Well, not one more. I shouldn't say that. They have another game coming up two days from now. I'm actually looking at the clock and looking at the countdown as we speak. Two days, 15 hours, 38 minutes, and 47 seconds and counting. And that, once that hits zeros across the board, the Northern will mean that the Northern Arizona Wranglers are in town to take on the Vegas Nighthawks at the Dollar Loan Center. Matt, this is what I love about the city as a whole because in case you guys are unfamiliar and you guys have caught this three-hour episode of the talk that talk radio show in hour number three as we're about 35 minutes or so from wrapping up let's say 30 30 minutes or so from wrapping up sunday we got double duty we do we have double duty on sunday because 
The Northern Arizona Wranglers, when they come to Vegas and they take they take part in this IFL matchup against the Vegas Nighthawks, that will take place at the Dollar Loan Center at 1 p.m. But later that night, Mother's Day special, the Seattle Storm will be in town at the Michelob Ultra Arena to take on your Las Vegas Aces in their in their home opener, almost a season opener. In their home opener, their uh, the Aces are actually opening their season tomorrow night at Phoenix when they take on the Mercury. By the way, Diana Taurasi says she wants to play for a couple more years. Fine by me. When she said it, she ain't say couple like two. Like I mean, she may have said few. Whatever it was. She's talking like five or more. All right. Since you won't say it, I'm going to say it. And I swear I'm getting out of here because I understand that that's the GOAT. If she has another season like last season, I don't think she's going to play another five years. And what I mean by that, <laughs> people may say, oh, but she put up her playoff career high last year. Yeah, she did it against the Aces too. Now my point. I watched Diana Taurasi help beat this Aces team last season. Dealing with a bad hit. That's her center of gravity. And that's what she did. I don't know how many more seasons Diana Taurasi can push through that. But nevertheless, before that game takes place at the Michelob Ultra Arena, this game at the Dollar Loan Center will be the third matchup of the season already. So we are nine weeks into the season, and this is the third matchup between the Northern Arizona Wranglers and your Vegas Nighthawks. If you guys are wondering why that name sounds so, so familiar, that was because if you ever get asked a trivia question about who the Vegas Nighthawks won their inaugural game or open their inaugural season against and who did they beat, that answer will be the Northern Arizona Wranglers. That game took place on March 18th. It was a 22-9 victory for the hometown Vegas Nighthawks. However, a couple of weeks after that, what was that? Maybe close to a month after that, two days away from it being a full month, when they headed up to Prescott Valley, Arizona, and had to take on the Northern Arizona Wranglers. It was a, oh, I almost, almost set the wrong score, but it was a 30-20 to 20 final for Northern Arizona. Sunday's game takes place at 1 p.m. at the dollar, at the dollar loan center, rather. Northern Arizona so far this season, they're 4-2. and two. So they're a team that one of their losses did come to the Vegas Nighthawks. However, they are a team that hasn't looked like the same team that took that loss in week one, hence their, their, their follow-up win on April 16th. While we're talking football, let's talk about the Raiders for a brief moment. The Raiders made their splash in the NFL draft. They picked up six draft picks. Let's go ahead and go through them and give you guys just our initial, our initial uh, feelings about it, considering that we have until August to get deep into this. But we have Dylan Parham, or Parham, rather, uh, office of guard from Memphis. You have Zamir White, running back from Georgia. You have Neil Farrell Jr., defensive tackle from LSU. It was another defensive tackle that went off the board next when Matthew Butler from Tennessee went to Vegas. You have Thayer Munford, who is an offensive tackle from Ohio State. And then lastly, you have the sixth and final pick for this franchise, and that was another running back, this time from UCLA, Britton Brown. You want to know my initial response? Hmm. We understand that, that sports is a business, 
but we understand that feelings are involved, right? <laughs> I, I tell you guys all the time, I don't understand why there's so many feelings involved in sports, but there are some feelings involved in sports, and you guys would be crazy to think that they're not. All I could think about was Josh Jacobs, his quote maybe a month, no more than like six weeks ago, where he came out and he said that this upcoming season, or maybe this last season, was the first time that he's been healthy in his career. I helped cover the Raiders this year. I wrote about his touchdown numbers throughout the year and how it exceeded the following or the previous year and just things of that nature, realizing career high numbers and just moments that Josh Jacobs had. And then that backfield got real crowded real quick. Now, this team has some picks last year that were with the team during the preseason, and we were wondering whether the running backs were going to make the, the the cut. The two running backs that, that were in mind at the time, neither made the cut. However, when you draft a running back in the second round, as you did Zamira White from a national championship team, you – you, you kind of come away with the conclusion that he's not going anywhere, right? At least after this season, or at least before this season. Maybe you guys don't end up cutting that, that six-round pick. However, we've seen those six-round picks, right? Or those uh, final picks, rather, for the team. They have something to prove. They're later-round picks. I mean, they're already not the first position, uh, the first guy at this position that you took in this draft, let alone you already have a starter. One of the things that I took away from it, now, you weren't with us when we actually did the show. We did the show from Sapphire. You guys are actually looking at the hat, and I don't know if you guys can see the shirt. But shout out to Sapphire Las Vegas. We did uh, our draft party from the. We did a show during our draft party from Sapphire, and <laughs> the Packers. And I swear I wasn't going here, but the Packers picking up Quay Walker in the first round. I was happy with that pick. Told the guys in a moment. I was like, we, we need that. Zadarius Smith is now in Minnesota. I mean, if you guys see a linebacker that's first-round talent, grab him. They had another pick in the first round as well. It was at that time that it set in, and I said, we still ain't grabbed a wide receiver yet. <laughs> and now let's fast forward back to the Raiders. I look at this, and I go – Though much improved this season or this pre this past season, no picks for the secondary. Are the Raiders going to regret that? Probably. They lost out on Tyron Matthews as well. Yeah, probably regret that, given how the league is in a pass first type of league. Let's look at their division. Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Justin Herbert, yeah. At least you have De at least you have Devontae Adams. Yeah. So Vegas is gonna win fifty two forty five games all the time. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't know, man. I have no idea. 
Seriously. The reason why I'm laughing about it and I'm laughing it off is because I, I <sighs> my answer still goes back to the question mark that I have over Josh McDaniels' head. I don't know what his defense is going to look like. I don't know if a if a strong secondary is necessary if you got if the quarterback has no time in the pocket. Maybe it doesn't matter. We're looking at the Chargers and we've seen over the years they've kind of deviated away from trying to get all that secondary help and they're loading up in the box. You're not going to have any time to throw. <laughs> like maybe we're not the strongest back there. So what? You're not going to have any time to throw. Maybe the Raiders are headed there. I mean, maybe you guys found some 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 steals in this particular draft. Getting Zamir right Zamir White, excuse me, in the second round was a win, obviously. That's what I'm gonna that's always what I'm gonna um highlight rather. I said round two. As your second pick, that was round four. But um I'm always gonna kinda highlight that and consider that a win. But we have a lot to talk about, obviously, when when it comes to the Raiders, because more will be revealed. And I think for whatever it's worth, the you might think I'm wrong, but I think the Raider offseason has still been kind of quiet. I understand the Devontae trade, it kind of came and went. The car extension was kind of under the radar. The Josh McDaniel story is probably the biggest one, right? Not not letting Rich Basaccia, uh continue his effort to kind of keep the Raiders afloat. However, I'm not sure that the biggest story out of Las Vegas has happened yet. And that's just the feeling that I get. I could be wrong. But one thing I'm not wrong about is the Aviators with this second of a back-to-back win. Tonight, they did beat Sacramento 7-1. to Yes, they beat Sacramento 7-1. So that means one thing and one thing's on. Oh, that's a 7-1? 7-5. Mm-hmm. I apologize, guys. That final score was 7-5. to But that means one thing. I came into this game, or to the series, by letting you guys know, and if you guys have followed TalkThatTalkRadio.com, once again, that website is TalkThatTalkRadio.com, you guys will see that in, in, in the prep for this story, I let you guys know that Sacramento and Las Vegas will be playing for first place. It means that your aviators are in first place in the PCOS. They're up, well, what is, rather, they're 15 up, 12 down, and they just sent Sacramento to a 14-13 and 13 overall record tonight. Eric Tames went two for three. He did have a single. He also had a home run in the sixth inning. That was his third home run of the year. In addition to that, Dalton Kelly also hit his second home run of the year in the third inning. Shaylen Galeers stayed hot, kept his hitting streak going, went one for three. Now, the series continues tomorrow. The series wraps up on Sunday. <clears throat> Pardon. Let's just do it. Let's just do it and get it out the way. You want to talk about Oakland? Not much in Oakland other than the athletics. <laughs> Somebody hit me up recently and said that they're not sure if I'm safe in the Bay Area. I got a little offended. I said, why? Well, I'm not safe. <laughs> not saying that you're not. I'm just saying some things that I've heard. And, you know. Your persona non grata out there, basically. I said, okay. And I said, is it because I'm telling the truth? <laughs> I said, let, let's let's play it this way. Let's say that anybody in Oakland is mad at me. 
Number one, so. <laughs> number two, what are you mad for? Why are you angry? Because I gave you tips and techniques on how to keep your franchise? Which is showing up? Which, a baseball stadium, which most baseball stadiums sit between, what, 27 and 32. Let's just hover around there. About 30,000 people. You guys were turning in about 3,000? Earlier this week, they turned in what? 2,400? 2,700? What the hell was it? A long way from 30,000 is what I'll say. So, couple that with the fact that these Oakland Athletics, and this is not, I'm not laughing at the team because we've been told that this team is going to go through growing pains. This is back towards fandom. I feel like a lot of these conversations that we have are towards fans, but I don't understand what anybody in Oakland wants me to do about the fact that the Oakland Athletics just dropped another series, except they were swept this time, this time by Tampa. That final game of that series was actually a shutout, a 3 nothing shutout. This team has now lost six straight games. And remember when I told you guys that they were, what, a game out of first place? This is what happens when you play games daily because just that quickly, this Oakland Athletic team is, with all due respect, where we expected this team to be. They are in last place in the AOS. They are 10-15. and 15. In case you guys were wondering who was leading that division. Now, you want to answer that question for me? It's May. You said what? I said it's May. The month of May. So what? Just answer the question. Who's leading the AOS right now? As of right now, it's the Angels. I don't like the way you said that. I should have never gave you that power. Who's also leading the NL East at the moment? I don't want to talk about it. I saying. did send you something. I know that said, and what? Wait, is that actually? I'm going to get the exact quote, or the exact um, verbiage from it. Okay, I want to be sure. I thought it was for the first time since, but no, it's for the first time in MLB history. Both New York franchises and both L.A. franchises are leading their divisions. Why do I feel like the Mets and the Angels didn't hold up their end of the bargains in previous years where it could have happened? Because they didn't. They do say history repeats itself, right? All right. You have absolutely lost your mind in this third hour, so I'm going to get you out of here because this is going to go bad quickly. Um. <laughs> I have so much more to say to Oakland fans. What else are you guys doing out there? Definitely not showing up to the game. You ain't got football to watch. You don't got basketball to watch. You're about not ready to have baseball to watch. So what are you guys doing? If anybody wants to answer that, please go ahead and feel free to do that. My dad's tip in today is a pretty brilliant tip in. I thought it was something that... Doesn't get talked about enough, but me and him do actually talk about it a decent amount. But my dad's tip in today reads as follows. Just read an article that rekindled my anger over the fact that Charlie Hustle, Pete Rose, one of the hardest working players to ever play the game of baseball, is still not being allowed into the Hall of Fame because of gambling. It has been reported today that the that federal auditors investigating golfer Phil Mickelson's role in an insider trading scheme, found his gambling losses 
totaled more than $40 million <laughs> between 2010 and 2014. Mickelson was a relief defendant in a 2016 insider trading case that sent noted gambler Billy Walters to prison. Yet and still, the PGA Tour is right around the corner, and Mickelson, the defending champion, has not announced whether he will be defending that championship or not. Mickelson has not been fined, banned, or anything close to it. I bet Pete didn't lose $40 million, nor was he caught up in an insider trading scheme, but he's still being punished by Major League Baseball. I hate to say it again, but are they going to wait until Pete is no longer with us before he gets his well-deserved praise? Give the man his flowers while he can still smell them. I would love to put the Pete Rose and Barry Bonds in the same room for 10 minutes. Add Roger Clemens. You just want to sprinkle in some excitement. And just leave him in the room with the Baseball Hall of Fame voters. Please do not leave Roger Clemens in there with them. I trust Pete Rose and Barry Bonds more than I trust Roger Clemens. I don't know if I trust either one of any of them. That's a good point. That's a good one. You got to make sure all sharp object, objects are out of the room. You got to make sure all baseballs are out of the room, all bats. Like, you just got to make sure nunchucks. Like, you just got to make sure anything that could do damage in the room is out of the room. It might need to be a padded room, too. I was just about to say. Matter of fact, get them into a padded room and just let them. No pins. Right. No spiral notebooks. Like, nothing with points. Nothing with... Nothing that could that could be damaging. Right. But um, we did a three-hour show today because we didn't have the show on Monday due to the Aces Media Day. Um, I don't think that's gonna always happen, considering that we've 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 canceled shows for very very few reasons. We've done one for the 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 walkthrough at the ballpark, sickness, things like that. Other than that, we don't typically like to move shows, but. I like this aspect of it, kind of switching it up and just extending our regularly regularly scheduled show if we were to miss a show because it is kind of hard to get things kind of um, rescheduled throughout the week. But we ended it with some local news. We started it with some aces with a, a, a full hour aces breakdown, to be honest with you, before that basketball talk was sandwiched in the middle. Basketball talk today included, uh, in addition to the Aces, Panathinaikos getting their first finals victory over Olympiacos. And then, of course, in this final hour, we discussed some local news with the Aviators, the, the, the Golden Knights, the Nighthawks, the Raiders, and then, of course, your Oakland Athletics, mainly because Oakland, you guys are going to lose them, especially if you're not listening to me. Matt, you got anything else, man? It's been a hell of a show. Three hours, we came in, we got it done. And I think this is the time where we tell you guys, keep on talking.